Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the Bald Face Truth. We are 24 hours away from Pac 12 Media Day. George Klyovkov, Lincoln Riley, Chip Kelly, you're going to hear it all on this radio show tomorrow from Los Angeles. The BFT, we go where the story is. So we will be there on site, Pac 12 Media Day. Uh, I don't care who else is there. Uh, I know we're going to have Kyle Whittingham on this show and Lincoln Riley on this show and George Klyovkov and Chip Kelly and Dan Lanning and Jonathan Smith on this show. David Shaw will make an appearance on this show. Kalen DeBoer, Jake Dickert. Plus, you're going to hear from Caleb Williams, Cam Ward, and a whole bunch of other players inside this conference. But before I can get to tomorrow, i got to think about today. And today what I'm thinking about is Kevin Warren's appearance as part of Big Ten Media Day earlier this week. Um, look, we've talked about the grandstanding. We have talked about the fact that he, you know, dropped uh, a hint there that they may not be done expanding, got everybody in a tizzy. I think Kevin Warren very much was serving Kevin Warren's purposes uh, on Wednesday and Tuesday as he spoke to media. But I think ultimately what we need to do is think about what you want college football to be. What do we want it to be? Do we want it to just be games? Do we want it to be like the NFL where it's games and players and coaches? Do we want a salary cap? Do we want the ability for college coaches to cut players and have it be a pro-style system where, you know, you have a scholarship, but if you don't play well, you get cut. Uh, Are we talking about paying players? What are we talking about when we talk about college football? Because too often when we talk about college football, what we don't talk about is the college part of it, right? You hear the academics on campus say, well, look at the athletes. They're out there. They're the face of the university, the front porch of the university. Um, we, you know, we always hear belly aching about that. But I want to I spin it a little bit different today because for a while, I think we have rolled our eyes when people say, student athletes and we eliminate the college part of the equation when it comes to these athletes but i thought dennis dodd of cbs sports asked a phenomenal question of kevin warren the big 10 commissioner as part of the media day on tuesday now dodd who's a longtime journalist asked warren you know are you concerned at all about the athletes at usc and ucla flying four time zones in some cases to go compete in games? Are you concerned about the academic part, the college part of the equation? And I want you to listen to what Kevin Warren said, because I thought it was pretty interesting, if not revealing. Here's Kevin Warren's response to Dennis Dodd's question. Dennis, that's a great question. Fortunately, I grew up in a household of educators. My father was a student athlete at Arizona State, was a college professor at Arizona State. My mother, was a school teacher and librarian. So academics is incredibly important to Greta, to me, to my family, to what I do on a daily basis. It's something that I take very seriously. So because of that, I always think through 
the opportunities, as you alluded to, Dennis, of not of the issues or the problems, but what are the opportunities that now that we are across four time zones, now that we do have schools in 2024 that will reach from New York, New Jersey to Los Angeles, what are the diff different cultural elements in each one of those environments? not only in the cities, but with their alumni, that we could even fortify our educational relationship with our student athletes. One of the good things, Dennis, that we're doing on a daily basis, we have two years now to plan. We have built a Big Ten kind of readiness committee that we will activate here to start working with USC and UCLA to get ideas as far as what we can do. We have two of our universities at Northwestern and Nebraska going to Dublin to play a football game. How many young students forget about sports but in college have an opportunity to travel to dublin and so because of that i'm so proud of what nebraska and northwestern are doing they're amplifying that trip to be able to learn so i look at it as not a negative i look at it as a positive from an academic standpoint and what we will do is we'll work through these next two years from a scheduling component to make sure that we create the environment that's most healthy and holistic for our student athletes, which is one of the reasons why I've started the Student Athlete Advisory uh, Committee to be able to listen to them to say what's important. So Dennis, thank you for the question, but it's something that's top of mind for me every single day. Did Kevin Warren know at the beginning of that question, or his answer to that question, where he was going? That was the first thing I thought as I heard him sort of sort through it and at first talk about, you know, you know, how important academics are, and he cites the fact that he comes from a family of educators, and that's great. And, you know, uh, I, I really feel like he was searching for validation, but I felt him kind of meandering during the answer to the question and ultimately settling on the notion that, hey, it's a work in progress and it's something we're thinking about every day, which tells me they're not thinking at all about the academic part of this. And maybe a whole bunch of the football players and football coaches are not thinking about the academic part of this. But I'm still left wondering where it leaves the athletes on campus who do care about the academics. Will they continue to go to USC and UCLA? Or will they look other places? What will the impact of that be? We had Bill Moose the former Washington State Athletic Director, former Oregon Athletic Director, former Nebraska Athletic Director on this show a few weeks ago. And Moose talked about the fact that when they went into the Big Ten Conference, and they were in Lincoln, Nebraska, they were not in Los Angeles, when they went into the Big Ten Conference, those road trips took a toll. Moose just talked at great length about having to travel across the time zones, athletes in different sports, how uh, prohibitive it was and how disruptive it was to their academic schedule. And, like, you know, I get it. College football drives the bus. I get it. The revenue from college football, the $70 million-plus in annual media rights revenue that USC and UCLA are going to get, fantastic, right? That's, that's great. That makes a lot of problems go away. But you can't time travel. You can't. Like, you can fly a chartered plane. If you want to spend a bunch of money in your UCLA and you want to charter your teams, that's cool. Do that. But – Going to Dublin on a one-off is a much different equation than playing regular games against Rutgers and Purdue and Illinois and Penn State and having to travel your athletes in non-football sports across the country for matches that they could have had in their time, their own time zone. I still think it's going to be a problem. I think you're going to see fallout from this. I don't think it's going to be college football related, and I frankly think it'll be justified by the revenue that UCLA and USC are bringing into the conference and into their athletic department pocket, so to speak. 
But I think it's going to be a, a problem, and I think we're going to continue to hear about it for a decade or more as athletes at UCLA and USC are going to have to get on planes and study via Zoom and get their notes from their professors via email. And in the end, if you're a student who was interested in the college part of college, this is going to be really disruptive. And and so it's, it's almost like I wonder why UCLA and USC didn't go in football only to the Big Ten. And maybe they explored that, or football and men's basketball only uh, to the Big Ten. And they're not going in every sport, but I still think there's going to be massive problems, and I don't think Kevin Warren has the answer to it. I think he, legitimately his answer, where he meandered around, I mean, hell, listen to it again. We have built a Big Ten kind of readiness committee that we will activate here to start working with USC and UCLA to get ideas as far as what we can do. We have two of our universities at Northwestern and Nebraska going to Dublin to play a football game. How many young students, forget about sports, but in college have an opportunity to travel to Dublin? And so because of that, I'm so proud of what Nebraska and Northwestern are doing. They're amplifying that trip to be able to learn. So I look at it as not a negative. I look at it as a positive from an academic standpoint. And what we will do is we'll work through these next two years from a scheduling component to make sure that we create the environment that's most healthy and holistic for our student-athletes, which is one of the reasons why I've started the Student-Athlete Advisory uh, Committee to be able to listen to them to say what's important. So, Dennis, thank you for the question, but it's something that's top of mind for me every single day. He sort of pivots there and then starts talking about this opportunity in Ireland, and then he finishes with that comment about, like, you know, hey, it's something I think about every day. Uh, you know, I don't think he has the answer. And I frankly think he was trying to just deflect a little bit or redirect the Dennis Dodd's question, but in the end, it felt short for me. John Wilner. He is the guru of the Pac-12 conference. What's George Klyovkov going to say tomorrow? We heard from Kevin Warren. What's George Klyovkov going to say? I'm going to ask John Wilner that coming up. I want you to leave it here. He's coming on next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. John Wilder, Bay Area News Group, San Jose Mercury News, was kind enough to join us on yesterday's show. And, man, if you missed that, grab the podcast of it. It was fantastic talk about Kevin Warren, the Big Ten, the Pac-12's uh, you know, strategy moving forward. But tomorrow, as part of Pac-12 Media Day in Los Angeles, George Klyovkov will take the stage at 8 a.m., State of the Conference Remarks. John Wilner joining us for part two, two days in a row. Thanks for doing this, Wilner. Um, what's the commissioner going to say? What's he going to say as he as he steps onto the stage tomorrow at 8 a.m.? I think the big thing is what he's not going to say. I do not think he's going to announce expansion. I do not think he's going to announce a merger or an alliance. I do not think he's going to announce uh, a media rights deal. It is too early in the process for this stuff, right? They've been going for about three weeks now trying to salvage the operation after USC and UCLA. Uh, news. I, I just think that they are several weeks or even months away from anything uh, concrete. So he's going to probably try to lend some perspective to the situation on a bunch of fronts, talk about football this coming season, talk about UCLA and USC, 
probably in positive tones, uh, to probably talk about the college football playoff situation. But he's not going to be having any kind of announcement that's going to involve hard news. Is he going to take shots at USC, UCLA, or will he go high road? I think he will go high road. I'm betting that the conference wants to go high road with USC and UCLA because the play, the athletes have got two years in, 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 the, in the Pac-12, right? And it's not their fault. They didn't have anything to do with this. So in, in the interest of keeping uh, the players from having to get into the muck, my guess is he's going to go high road. It'll be interesting to see if he goes totally high road with the Big 12 and especially with the Big Ten, right? Because Kevin Warren was his alliance buddy uh, until June 30th when he wasn't. Lincoln Riley will get a chance for the first time to hear USC's coach. Um, what are you expecting there, and how big of a splash will Lincoln Riley's remarks make? He was going to be the star of the show to me even before this news. So I got to think he's going to be the most popular guy at the uh, at the event. And... I don't know, is he going to get 50% of his questions about the Big Ten? Maybe. Um, But it'll be real interesting to see what he has to say about that move for USC's program and and also what he he says about his current team and how good he thinks they're going to be, especially – you know, on defense, where I think that's the that's the big question mark is, are they going to be championship caliber on defense? Chip Kelly and Lincoln Riley will both be asked, I'm going to presume, whether or not they knew this was coming down the pipeline. Did, did they know about the defection to the Big Ten? What? How do you think they will answer that? They will say they did not know, uh, I would I would imagine. And what, did they know? My, my guess is that they may have had some kind of inkling that something might go on, but I don't I don't think either of those guys really knew at least until, you know, June twenty eighth, twenty ninth, thirtieth, right? You know, the the twenty four, thirty six hours before the news broke. Maybe they knew then, but uh I don't I don't think that this has been something that they've been carrying around as a top secret for, for many months. John Wilner with us, San Jose Mercury News, covers the Pac twelve. Uh, well, fact, I, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. I just saw a report on Twitter. When the news broke, Chip was playing golf with Ryan Day, the Ohio State coach, who <laughs> won the 16th hole, and Scott Frost called Ryan Day to tell him the news. So that's officially, that's what Chip will say. He was playing golf when he heard. <laughs> How good a golfer do you think Chip Kelly is? I bet he's terrible. I bet he's awful. Uh, but he's probably well hydrated. <laughs> uh, John Wilder is with us. Uh, look, how about sneaky good interviews? Let's, you know, Dan Lanning, Kalen DeBoer. Is there an interview that maybe won't be splashy, but you're really looking forward to hearing? You know, I don't know some of these guys, so it'll be real interesting to see how Kalen DeBoer, the new coach at Washington, Dan Lanning, new coach at Oregon, how they deal with the the spotlight and answering again. They're going to be like Lincoln Riley. There's going to be co- about being the new coach at their school, and also questions about. Hey, are you going to go to the Big Ten? Is Oregon headed to the Big Ten? Is Washington headed to the Big Ten? So they've got to have a, things coming at them in a, in a bunch of directions. I, I am curious to see how they handle it. I'm also very curious about Kyle Whittingham and just what he has to say about the mentality of his team because for Utah, you know, it's a whole different role now. They are now the hunter. They've been chasing that Pac-12 title for a decade. They finally got it. They're probably going to be the preseason favorite. How is he dealing with 
his team being in a new role. I'm, I'm curious about that. You know, it's funny. I talked to him several weeks ago, right around Father's Day, and he remarked to me how many of his guys came back and sort of cited unfinished business, even though they apparently, in our eyes, got there. Like, they won the conference. But I think the fact that they got to the Rose Bowl and didn't win it, they sort of, uh, maybe this is a psychological Jedi trick by Kyle Whittingham, but I think he's, he's convinced his team that there's unfinished business for them. Is that possible? I think it probably is possible. I mean, especially given this, the overall stability and culture of that program, I could see how, how he, you know, make that dynamic work. And we'll have a pretty good idea September 3rd. I mean, if they go into the swamp and beat Florida, they are going to be, uh, you know, on the playoff track. And, and, uh, so we'll, we'll see that game in the Oregon-Georgia game, obviously the two huge pre early season matchups for the conference. You know, stepping back to the UCLA-USC thing, it was interesting. I don't know if this happened to you, but UCLA's sports information director reached out to me a couple days ago and said, hey, just want to let you know I'll see you at media day. I realized, you know, you have a relationship with Chip and you've had him on your show over the years. I kind of felt like it was a preemptive strike to say, hey, you know, Let's be cordial with each other at, at Media Day. Did you get any of that? Did USC or UCLA reach out to you? Uh, I haven't talked to anybody specifically uh, about Media Day uh, so much as about kind of things moving, how things are going to go moving forward with the schools and the conference and the you know interpersonal relationships that they are hoping to preserve. You know, uh, just because they got two years, I mean, it's a long time to be, you know, and those athletes are like, they're like kids of a, of a divorce. And I think that everybody is very, very aware of not, trying not to put the, the athletes in a bad spot, right? We saw the Big 12 had a little bit of issues. Texas, you know, that horns down thing. Pac-12 is, I think, going to take great pains to try to avoid any of that so that the, the athletes don't get caught up in it. John Wilner with us, Bay Area News Group. Uh, seven teams, as you pointed out in your piece yesterday, will have new starters. All of them transfers. Uh, and that includes Oregon and Washington and Washington State. Now, uh, you know, we're going to see Caleb Williams from USC at Media Day. We're also going to see Cameron Ward from Washington State. I'm interested in Ward, but what do you make of all those transfers? And, you know, who are you eager to see on the field outside of Caleb Williams? Well, I'm certainly interested to see if it's good Bo Nix or bad Bo Nix or a combination of the two for Bo Nix, right? I mean, that's a big – that's one of the – you know, if you're going to name the top three or four uncertainties in the conference that could really have an impact on the direction of the of the race, Bo Nix is near the top of the list, right? I mean, if he plays well, Oregon has got a great chance to win the conference and contend for the playoff. And if he doesn't, I don't know. If, you know, they they could fall back a little bit. So I'm, I'm real curious about Nix. Uh, yes, yeah, seven quarterbacks. Uh, Starting quarterbacks will be transfers. Only one of them in the interconference transfer or intra-conference, right? Um, Jaden DeLore at Arizona. He was at Washington State last year. But that, again, it's the way of the world, but it also reflects the fact that there's not that much quality and stability at, at the position. And that is that is part of, the I think, the overall trajectory of the Pac-12 is the, the quarterback play hasn't been as good the last few years as it was 5, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. We teased this yesterday, but, you know, for listeners of the show, you're getting a little insight that everybody else isn't getting. But Wilner and I 
are starting a podcast. Uh, it'll it'll relate to the Pac-12 conference, but it'll, go, it'll probably go beyond that. We have had these conversations on air for a long time, Wilner, and uh, you know it's just going to give us an opportunity to dive a little deeper. But you know we have posted uh, on Apple Podcast, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, SoundCloud, the introduction to the podcast. You can subscribe to it. Kanzano and Wilner is the name of the podcast. Uh, we're both tweeting out links to it, so look at our Twitter profiles and look at the socials. But, Wilner, why do you want to do a podcast? You do a bunch of radio interviews. What, what's left to talk about? I think we got a ton that we don't get a chance to talk about. I think, I think the way we view not only the Pac-12, but college athletics, you know, complements each other very well in terms of uh, in-depth discussion. You know, I got a lot of stuff in my head that I don't report or write about, and the podcast would be a great outlet for that and, and a great way for us to, you know, inform listeners about what's going on, not only with realignment, but with just the trajectory of the Pac-12 in general on and off the field. And I think it's going to be a ton of fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to engaging with uh, with guests and, and with listeners uh, as well. It's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, I, I talk to Pac-12 ADs all the time, and they will always reference. They'll go, you know, you and Wilner, you and Wilner, over and over. And after a while, I was like, you know what, why are we not doing something together? We were teammates once upon a time at the San Jose Mercury News now we're teammates again. The podcast, Kanzano and Wilner. Make sure you subscribe. The introduction's up there. We're going to be cutting our very first episode soon. But if you subscribe to the introduction, you will get it. So you won't have to go searching and hunting for it. Subscribe to it. It's free. You should do that. Wilner, I appreciate you doing that. We'll get you back on, and I'll play excerpts from the podcast on this show and tease it. But if you want the full sandwich, the full meal deal, uh, make sure you're subscribed. Kanzano and Wilner is the podcast. Hey, I appreciate you joining us. Thank you, John. Thanks very much. I'll see you in L.A. All right. On on we move. Make sure you subscribe to that podcast and stick around. More ahead. you got the bald-faced truth statewide. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. talk this college football season about the stars on the teams that we see play Oregon and Oregon State in particular in this in this region whether you're listening uh, uh, right here on 750 the game or if you're listening in Eugene on Fox Sports Eugene or in Roseburg on 1490 a.m. or in Klamath Falls on 960 a.m. or if you're podcasting or streaming we'll be talking about the star players a lot like we'll talk Bo Nix we'll talk about uh, Chance Nolan will be talking about the running backs and the wide receivers. I, mean, I want to talk for a second about unsung heroes, if I can. You have heard throughout the college football season a year ago from Jaden Grant, who joined us every Thursday, courtesy of Jamba Juice last season. And I think that's going to continue this season. Jaden really wants to do it. Jamba wants to do it. Great. Let's do it. But, you know, we got a chance to know Jaden Grant a little bit. And I got a chance off air to go get coffee with Jaden Grant. And when I say I get coffee with Jaden Grant, what I really mean is that Jaden Grant's getting hot chocolate and I'm getting coffee. And we're sitting and we're talking. We're talking about life. We're talking about school. You know, the, the guy is a uh, 77-year college uh, athlete uh, due to the pandemic and 
red shirt and medical red shirt and all that stuff. Jaden Grant has been in college a while, okay? Don't make fun of him. He has maximized his opportunities. He's got more degrees than than uh, most of the people that you know and I know together. So Jaden Grant is doing all right. But can I talk for a second about how amazing his story has been? I wrote about it earlier this week at johnconzano.com, and I hope you got a chance to read it. If you're subscribed at johnconzano.com, you get that delivered in your email inbox every morning as I write, and I pretty much have been writing every day, but uh, I'm having fun with it. I've got newfound joy, right? Uh, but I'm waking up, and I'm getting to write what I want to write. And so yesterday, I, I just sat down to write, and I go, you know what? I'm going to write about Jaden Grant because he might be the best story in the Pac-12 conference. I'm going to say it again. Oregon State's team captain, defensive back, former walk-on, son of Brian Grant, Jaden Grant might be the best story in the Pac-12 conference. We might be sitting on the best story. He was named this week to the preseason all-conference team. Now, remember, he was a walk-on, and he's been through some stuff. He got injured. I remember he ran into a fence during uh, a spring scrimmage and hurt himself, and he has seen multiple head coaches. Gary Anderson ditched the program. Corey Hall came in. He didn't last very long. Then Jonathan Smith came in. And Jaden Grant is playing for his fourth defensive coordinator in seven seasons. That's right, four defensive coordinators. Now, I got a chance to know him a little bit, and you did too. And the natural inclination that we all have when we go to describe Jaden Grant, you're guilty of it, I'm guilty of it, I'm already guilty of it in this segment. We describe him by using his father, son of former NBA player Brian Grant. And it's accurate. That, you know, that's Brian Grant's kid out there. His dad was a fan favorite with the Blazers and other teams. Sacramento, Miami. He was an inspiring force on the basketball court. Brian Grant, great interview. We love having him on the show. But when I talk to Jaden Grant about his competitive drive, the thing he wants to bring up is his mother, Gina. He said his mother is where he gets his fire. Now, Gina is a former NBA dancer. She is one of the top global Zumba fitness instructors on the planet. She travels all around the world, probably more popular in, in countries like uh, Mexico and in Latin America and in, uh, in Japan and other places like Korea. She, she goes all around the world teaching instructors, advancing the mission of Zumba, making media appearances. She could write a book about her experience as an entrepreneur. But her son has emerged as a pretty good businessman and networker himself. I talked about Jamba, his name, image, likeness deal. But what you probably don't know is he met weekly with state lawmakers during the early part of the pandemic, helping them shape what would become Oregon's NIL legislation. He's been a social advocate. He has secured endorsement deals. He's got a collaboration with Portland Gear that's coming out uh, this football season that uh, he's pretty excited about. I think Portland Gear is pretty excited about the literally want to do something very different, something Oregon State-centric. A lot of the Portland gear stuff has been geared around University of Oregon, I think, and naturally because Marcus Harvey attended Oregon, and uh, I think they have done a good job in sort of branching out. I mean, they've become a fantastic brand, and they're collaborating with Jaden Grant. But amid all of this, he has played football at Oregon State at a level that is really unbelievable if you look at his story. He did not play football until his final year of high school. Alex Molden, who we've had on the show numerous times, has come on the show and talked about it. 
He was coaching the secondary at West Lynn High School. Here comes Jaden Grant, a basketball player, who decides a week into fall camp of his senior year that he wants to try football. Now, he came out, he couldn't even put the pads on. But Alex Molden said, you know what, when he put the pads on, the one thing he could do was hit. And he was lost on the field, but he got better every day. He put in the work. He became a football player. And it's why his name jumped off the page uh, when, you know, I was talking earlier in the show uh, with Wilner about the 2022 preseason All-Pac-12 conference football team. Jaden Grant's on that team. He is recognized as one of the best eight defensive backs in the league. Now, I don't know where his story goes from here. I don't know if he turns businessman after he... Uh, ends up uh, his career this season. This is going to be his last season at Oregon State. I don't know if he goes and plays uh, in uh, you know Europe or if he plays in the CFL or he plays in the XFL or I don't know if he plays in the NFL. I Don't bet against him. I would caution you on betting against the guy who was a walk-on, who is, became a team captain, and now is recognized as one of the best eight defensive backs in the league. Like, Don't let that get away. Don't let that be lost on you. Now, here's an interesting little story that I shared yesterday at johnconzano.com. Last Thanksgiving, I asked Jaden Grant where he was going to spend the holiday. You know how you do that? You have friends. You go, hey, where are you? what are you doing for the holiday? And, you know, or they're playing. Oregon and Oregon State are playing in Eugene like two days after Thanksgiving. So I didn't think Jaden Grant was going to go very far. Like, like I would have been surprised if he said, well, I'm flying to California or whatnot. But I thought, well, maybe he's going to go see his family or maybe he's going to lay low in Corvallis. But it turns out Jaden Grant... And his Thanksgiving was a hostile territory Thanksgiving. What I mean is he went into Oregon Ducks territory. Because Jaden Grant is is dating Anthony Newman's daughter, Daylin. So Day and Jaden, they're a couple. So Jaden spent last Thanksgiving at the Newman home for Thanksgiving. Breaking bread with one of the greatest Oregon Ducks football players to ever uh, walk to this state. 12-year NFL veteran. And Anthony Newman told me that he now finds himself giving coaching points to Jaden Grant, one of Oregon State's star defensive players. Now, anybody who knows Anthony Newman knows that Anthony Newman is passionate in his love of the University of Oregon. He loves Ducks football. So much so that once upon a time, when I had picked Oregon State to beat Oregon in one of those Civil War games years ago, it was probably 15, 16, 17 years ago, Anthony Newman, who was doing radio broadcast at the time, uh, Oregon won the game, and he tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, that's why they play the game. That's why they play the game. And I looked at him, and I said, Anthony, you still think you're playing. You know, you're a media member now. Calm down. Have a cookie. <laughs> Anthony, we laugh about it now, but he was fired up because he loves Oregon Ducks football. And so now he finds himself coaching and mentoring Jaden Grant. I think it's a beautiful story. It's a story about football, but it's a story about mentorship. It's, it's just got so many tentacles. When you are a great Oregon football player and your daughter, who you love, ends up dating a great Oregon State football player, um, your allegiance in that moment then is, is torn. And Newman told me it was the strangest thing for him. He used to hate the Beavers. He hated them. But he said, I love that kid. He's such a great kid. He's talking about Jaden Grant. He says now when he watches the Ducks and Beavers play, he sits there and he roots for Oregon, but he also roots for Jaden to play well. So he's torn. Like, he wants Jaden to make plays, but he wants Oregon to win the game. He said his loyalties are all twisted up, 
And uh, I think it's just a wonderful story about, you know, look, we always talk about star players and, you know, what they do on the field and whatnot, but Jaden Grant's an unsung hero, and he's a team leader at Oregon State. And Anthony Newman, there's some unsung hero in that, too, because mentorship is so valuable. Like, I always tell people, like, if you can find a mentor, find one. I don't care what age you are. Find a mentor. I don't care what industry you're in. Find a mentor. And by the way, you can be a mentor, too, to other people. I think that's really important. That fellowship is important, and I think it's on full display when we see Jaden Grant on the field because Anthony Newman is mentoring him. He's mentoring uh, one of the star players uh, of a university that Anthony Newman, frankly, I don't think liked very much all those years. And Jaden Grant is probably passing that stuff on, and I think he wouldn't hesitate, I think, years from now, to put his arm around an Oregon player or a Portland State player and go, hey, let me tell you what Anthony Newman taught me, and, and I'll help you out as well. Coming up next, Bob Thompson, the former president of Fox Sports Networks. He talks about what the Pac-12 might be talking about with ESPN and Fox right now. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. George Kleopthoff, the Pac-12 commissioner, will take the stage tomorrow uh, as part of Pac-12 Media Day. What can he talk about in a 30-day exclusive negotiating window? What, what can he say? What does he know? What does he not know? There's no one better qualified to talk about this than Bob Thompson, the former president of Fox Sports Networks. He's joined us before. He joins us again. Bob, thanks for making time. My pleasure, John. Give me an idea. 30-day exclusive negotiating window. You have done these deals from Fox's standpoint with a variety of conferences and entities. What is George Klyovkov and the Pac-12 able to talk about publicly? What can they say tomorrow? Well, these exclusive windows usually occur from you know 18 to 24 months prior to the expiration of the contract. Nobody really likes to go into the last year of their deal without a without a new deal, just like a coach. You know, they, nobody wants to be hanging out there. So what he probably knows is he's probably got a number from ESPN at this point. Is it their best last final? Probably not. But given there's about a week to go, um, they've got to be probably honing in on it. And even though he's in an exclusive window with ESPN and Fox, he probably knows a couple other things. Uh, number one is whether Fox intends to bid or not, which I think as we've all kind of come to the conclusion, probably not. He also knows that, you know, while he can't engage with other entities out there who might have an interest, nothing precludes the others from reaching out or back-channeling their interest to the conference or most likely to the conference's television consultant. So he probably has a good idea who else out there might be interested. I personally don't think a deal is going to be done in the exclusive window unless it's some sort of a blown-away offer from ESPN. I think the conference would be wise, and I think the conference will want to see who is on the outside looking in when the Big Ten option ends because there's going to be some folks who expressed an interest in some collegiate football who aren't going to, aren't going to get it in the, in the Big Ten deal. 
Give us an idea of the the consultants that that you mentioned there. Uh, you know, who are these characters, and and how does that work? Is that somebody that the conferences generally will contract with, or are they working uh, a, on behalf of the media entity? How do they get paid? Uh, in this case, uh, the conference would the, the conference would would engage and pay the consultant. Uh, the networks, by and large, uh, rely on their own their own people to negotiate. These- the 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 there's a variety of them out there. There's you know dozen or so really good good consultants uh, who live in this world. They constantly track who's paying for what, what's expiring when, who's likely to bid, who the new bidders are, um, all, all those types of things. So they're you know they're experts and they get paid to uh, provide that kind of expertise to to the conferences who by and large aren't necessarily experts at television. I think we had talked before about, you know, if UCLA and USC were going to be part of this deal, you'd sort of estimated $500 million for the for the conference would be split 12 ways. Uh, in the wake of that, we were thinking more $300 million spent, uh, split 10 ways. Are, are there some creative solutions within this? Uh, we've heard about ESPN+, Plus, maybe the absorption of the Pac-12 network. Where does your mind go? Because you've lived this and you've breathed this. I would think there is a possibility to to get it beyond the 30 million per school. Um, it is going to take some creativity. The Pac-12 networks aspect is certainly part of it. You know, do they carve out a new streaming package uh, that they hadn't had heretofore? Uh, and a lot of the product that would be say on the Pac-12 networks could be carved off into some sort of a streaming package. Um, that would probably though require them to, you know, get the Pac-12 networks of their top product, the, the non-conference football games, some of the conference football games that they carry, and, and the conference basketball games that they carry quite a bit of. That could be an enticing package to a streamer such as Amazon or uh, Apple or um, ESPN+. And that might be, you know, might be enough to move the needle to get them, you know, beyond that $30 million per year. We're talking to Bob Thompson, the former president of Fox Sports Networks. If Fox is not a bidder here and you're in this window with ESPN, like you said, you're probably not getting their best offer. How do you leverage ESPN if you're the Pac-12 to, to get that best offer? Well, you try and let them know, even though you're not supposed to know, that there's interest from others. And, you know, that that, there, that can be done in a variety of ways. Just, you know, um, but... It's a little bit of a, a, a bluffing game to a certain extent. You know, nobody, if you can nail down a deal in an exclusive window, you want to do it. But you also don't want to overpay. And I think that ESPN has been in this situation enough times. I would expect that they're not going to give them a blow, a blow, blow me away offer. And it, this is going to come out of the exclusive window. Bob, the, you know, George is going to probably want to steer this or maybe change the narrative or steer it into let's, we're here to talk football today, but people are really interested in what is going on with media rights. Kevin Warren made a comment that was interesting uh, as part of his Big Ten Media Day. He, he mentioned that, you know, there were a lot of alumni of the Big Ten in USC and UCLA's TV market. And, you know, he pointed out Maryland and Rutgers, they had done that in New York, but but I sort of just think that's inherent in large TV markets. If you are the Pac-12 and you are looking for expansion, you've, you've sorted through this in the last couple of weeks. 
What TV markets would be attractive to you? Well, certainly San Diego State uh, in San Diego would, and the San Diego market would be attractive. I kind of go back and forth after that between the, you know, Las Vegas, Fresno, Boise, and they're they're almost interchangeable. Yeah. You know, another none of them blow you away from a market size. Boise State's got a pretty good football program, so does Fresno State, but there's not a real clear, clear you know second second partner for the Pac-12. The other thing you can do is turn around and look at that. You can go further afield and go to SMU in Dallas and you know try and poach University of Houston from. Uh, out of the AAC before they get into the Big 12. I, I just find all of this so interesting. And, you know, part of I've looked at the same things you have, and I look at Vegas, and I go, okay, Vegas is growing. But I don't know if a TV executive thinks about growth as much as, hey, w- what kind of TV impact are you going to have tomorrow? Am I right in, in stating that? Yeah, I believe so. I think, you know, as, as I said, certainly the television guys, look at market size, but they also, you know, as do the conferences, look at brand, they look at alumni support, they look at, um, you know, past success, those types of things. And, you know, it's just, you don't necessarily see that with UNLV. I mean, I think from that standpoint, probably uh, Boise State, SMU, and Fresno State would probably come out on top, along with San Diego State. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that San Diego State is, without a doubt, the, the number one target should they decide to go forth with some expansion. Bob Thompson with us, former president, Fox Sports Networks. The, you know, the idea that this conference needs to make a deal, we look back at the last deal, it was a 12-year deal, which seems like an eternity in this business. Um, how unusual was that at the time, to see the Pac-12 uh, align itself with ESPN and, 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 and Fox in a 12-year agreement that very quickly became outdated. Yes, there, there's been a change, kind of runs in cycles. I remember when I first got in this business in the 18, 18, 1989, the deals were all very short, two, three, four-year deals, and that was the norm. Then as the, as the money got bigger, the networks were looking for more certainty over their rights deals, and so we started to stretch them out and go on you know, six, seven years. <clears throat> then in 2000, nine, 10, after the last round of expansion and uh, uh, realignment with the collegiate conferences, a lot of those deals jumped up to 10 to 12 to 13 years and even more. And you see the case with the ACC. And that's because, again, the networks were looking for some level of certainty into their cost structure, but the conferences were also looking to uh, tied the schools to the conference through these grant of rights documents that basically are the schools to pledge their rights to the conference so that the conference can turn around and resell them. There are a couple of conferences that have not done that historically, the Big 12 or the Big 10 being the primary. Um, you know, Jim Delaney was, was very confident in his ability to, you know, extract top dollar with four, five, six-year deals. The only rights agreement that we ever did with the Big Ten that was longer than that was for the when we created the Big Ten Network, and that was a 20-year, it was 20 years with a five-year option, uh, because that there you're building a channel around the conference. You have to have that locked in. Otherwise, you lose those rights. You don't have a channel anymore. So my guess is 
the deals are going to start getting shorter because we're at another one of those television inflection points where you've got the streamers hanging out there. You've got still got the linear networks, cable networks, and the broadcast networks who know that live sports content still brings eyeballs to the TVs. Um, so you're probably better off going short than, than 10 to 12 years. Does the Big Ten and Fox being in Los Angeles diminish the value of the Pacific time zone when you're negotiating as the Pac-12? Meaning, you know, now there's some competition there for late-night games uh, that are happening on the West Coast. I think it does marginally. I find it hard to believe that UCLA and USC are going to play all their home games at 7.30 on the East, on the West Coast. Um, that the, the, That just won't work. But I can see you know, a handful of games, maybe four, a uh, couple from each school, maybe six, uh, for three from each school that would kick at 7.30 Eastern. Is it going to be USC, Michigan? No. Could it be USC, Purdue? Or could it be uh, UCLA, Rutgers? Absolutely. Very, very possible that that's the case. Now, does that diminish um, the value of the pac 12s? 7.30 Eastern or 7.30 Pacific window, marginally, but not a lot. You've negotiated these deals, and I'm curious, you know, let's just say you were in that chair and you're in an exclusive window with the Pac-12 and you got the commissioner who's speaking tomorrow. How, how tuned in would you be to his remarks, or is the public stuff not as important to you as what you're talking about when you are talking about with him behind the scenes? Uh, the latter. I, you know, he's going to put on a, a, a brave front and everything's, with these state of the union addresses for each of the for each of the football media days, they're they're very consistent. Um, it's not going to come out as though the sky is falling or anything along those lines. Uh, he's going to be very confident in their ability to move forward, but I don't think he gives anybody uh, much of an idea of what's going on in in the room. Bob Thompson, you're the best. I really appreciate you, and uh, thanks for uh, being tuned in on this front. And uh, we will check in with you later. Thanks. All right. Have a good trip to L.A. Look, man, when when I when we need answers, we go to the experts. Bob Thompson, fantastic resource, the former president of Fox Sports Networks. Uh, tomorrow is going to be Pac-12 Media Day, and we'll be live all day. Hour number two, still ahead. Leave it here. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Every year around this time, I get emails from parents and I get emails from Little League and youth baseball and softball organizations who are looking to send kids. Uh, and send their teams on to compete nationally and regionally in events. Um, a few days ago, I got a message from uh, one of the coaches of the 12U, the 12-under Saxon Youth Baseball Team. They have earned a spot in the Cal Ripken World Series. That's in Branson, Missouri. Branson, Missouri, Anna. You ever been to Branson, Missouri? I have not been to Branson, Missouri. Give me an idea without looking it up. What do you think Branson, Missouri is known for? Give me an idea of what, you know, take a stab at it. Uh, wheat. Something in the grain area, something to do with farming, maybe? I don't know. I'm just, uh, just, just spitballing here. 
All right, you are spitballing. It it is a an Ozark town in southwest Missouri. It's known as a family vacation destination. So for those of you out there who were saying, "Hey, stupid, you've never been to Branson, Missouri with your family?" Uh, they have uh, 76 Country Boulevard. It's lined with theaters. They used to have uh, country music performers and other entertainment there. Uh, Dolly Parton's Dixie Stampede, the Silver Dollar City. There's an amusement park, 1800s themed amusement park with live music in Branson, Missouri. But bigger and better than that, the Cal Ripken World Series is happening there. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for the kids who are representing the Pacific Northwest. They will be taken off August 3rd through the 13th, and they are having a GoFundMe. And I'm going to tweet this out. Uh, The 750 The Game Twitter account will tweet this out right now. And if you are interested in helping the kids... Uh, the 12-under youth baseball team uh, travel to Branson, Missouri. By the way, um, round-trip airfare, food for 10 days, lodging for 10 days. This stuff gets expensive. Uh, this team is trying to raise $50,000 to send themselves there uh, to play in the Cal Ripken Baseball World Series. And, you know, if you can give, if you can support, and you want to support a team from the Pacific Northwest, the kids uh, of Saxon, uh, youth baseball are trying to get themselves to Branson, Missouri, to play and represent uh, the. And it sounds like a really cool event. You're on the website right now. I can. I'm looking over your shoulder. Yeah, because I wonder. I mean, I've heard of Babe Ruth, but I'm not as familiar with the Cal Ripken uh, World Series. This is pretty cool. So Cal Ripken, uh, that division is part of the larger Babe Ruth League, and this is big league experience. For the best 12-year-old baseball players in the world, it's being held at the Ballparks of America in Branson, Missouri. Yeah, Cal Ripken, Babe Ruth, both baseball players, Anna. And Babe Ruth was the Bambino, you know, 714 home runs. Cal Ripken was the guy who never took a day off uh, and just kept playing and playing and playing. Uh, 2,156 games? I I don't know why that's stuck in my head, but I, I think that was the number that he played. Anyway... The larger point is, if you want to support these kids, do it. Uh, I remember playing Little League. Those were formative years for myself. Um, I uh, still think about those Little League teams even today, all these years later. I have a box in the garage right now that has uh, got trophies and stuff from my Little League in there. And I think everybody's got that box. They haven't already given it away to Goodwill. But we're talking about life experiences here. I, I, I want to share, and I want to ask you too, Anna, because I know softball was big for you. And I know that your stepdad played a big role in taking you and helping work with you in softball. But my memories of Little League are, um, you know, memories of having my dad coach the team, uh, close friends on the team, made memories with people. I can still remember specific events that happened. And and uh, I did play in uh, a couple of years in Little League All-Stars, but the better experiences were just being on my regular teams in Little League. Like the All-Stars to me never, it always fell flat for me. It was just weird to see like somebody's, somebody's dad really trying to win games to get us to like Williamsport, Pennsylvania or whatnot. It felt like so far away. Like I just wanted to go to San Bernardino. I couldn't get my head, wrap my head around the idea of Williamsport, but I, I really want people out there that want to support these kids uh, to have an opportunity to do that. So if you are a follower of the 750 The Game Twitter account, we've just tweeted out the link to the GoFundMe. You can see a picture of the kids, their faces, they're smiling. Help get them to Missouri and this Cal Ripken World Series. Now, Anna, more importantly, 
What did you get out of playing softball? Oh, my gosh, so much. I mean, you learn to fail because so much of softball and baseball is actually failing. Uh, I don't think I ever learned to actually slide properly. I think I slid improperly all the way through playing softball in high school because every time I slid, like, the scars on my knees reflect all the times that I slid improperly. Um, I learned, obviously, teamwork. Uh, but I learned just kind of the joy of being part of something that was larger than myself and all the nuances that come with that. I mean, for me, it was um, having this team, and it was like the little things. It was the pregame braiding of the hair. I know this is so girly. Yep. But, like, we had, you know, girls on our team that loved to braid hair. I wasn't one of them. I liked to have my hair braided. And before the games, there would be a whole, you know, salon session of hair braiding. And that's, I don't know why that sticks out to me. Yeah, we did that too on my Little League team. No, we did not do that. And I, I have no, I had no idea you were going to go hair braiding when I said, tell me about your Little League experiences. I think the things that, you know, as a dad now with daughters, uh, if you're out there listening and you have kids, you probably relate to this a little bit. Like what I want for their experiences in youth sports is, Look, I want to get them to have a sense of team and a sense of something greater than the individual, a set, you know, bigger than themselves type mentality. I also want them to have fun and be surrounded by healthy other healthy kids. I think that's super important to have kids that uh, are around other kids who are have healthy habits. And I think you tend to see this. Like I, I know that I've done stories over the years and talked to. Um, you know, sociologists and psychologists and medical professionals who. All will tell you that kids who play sports and participate in sports are less likely to be in trouble, less likely to have a uh, teenage pregnancy, more likely to get good grades, more likely to be healthy. Uh, so those things just sort of fall in line. And I know as our older daughter was playing volleyball, some of my best memories are not like of games they won or plays that were made, but it's more like just the time that was spent with the kids sitting around, bonding with each other, healthy kids around other healthy kids. And so... I think that, you know, what I really want out of that is those things. Plus, I think, and you kind of hit hit on this a little bit, sports is a wonderful place for kids to fail. You got to learn how to fail in a safe way, right? Like, you don't want to have your first setbacks in life happen to you at age 30, 40, 50, like major setbacks. And we all know setbacks happen. Like, bad things happen. Like, people lose their jobs. People get sick. Relationships break down. We see things that are happening, like bad things in life that happen. But I think it's really important for kids at an early age to learn how to deal with some adversity. And I think sports is a great place to do that. And I know our kids, they ran CYO track, and uh, they played a, a variety of sports over the years. And I even told this, like people who know the CYO world, you know Sister Krista in the Portland metropolitan area uh, who, you know, sort of runs the CYO show. Sister Krista, no. I, I think Sister Krista does a fantastic job of creating a environment in which kids can go out and compete and have healthy habits. But more importantly, they can learn to deal with adversity, learn to improvise, adapt, overcome. And frankly, I think one of the greatest challenges that kids face in sports and people in life face are, are, the, are the fact that people don't deal with adversity well. They don't deal with setbacks well. You, you see it even in professional sports. You see teams and individuals that just go to pieces when something doesn't go right. And I always think the marker of successful people, successful teams, successful healthy individuals is 
not your ability to succeed, but your ability to withstand failure, right? I mean, uh, so many motivational quotes and people will talk over time about, you know, it's not, you know, how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get up. Really what they're talking about is your ability when you have a setback to regroup and, and keep plowing ahead. And I think kids learn that in sports. I know I did. I know I played college baseball, but I'll tell you, I had a little league season when I was about 10 where I didn't have a good year. I think I hit 083. I was playing against 11 and 12 year olds. It was not a good experience. The ball was moving way too fast. Everything was happening way too fast for me. You know, I eventually caught up like a year or two later, but it was like the game was moving so fast to me and I struck out and I struck out and I struck out, but I kept working. And what I learned that year, because I eventually started making contact and then the next year I started getting hits and then the next year I started playing really well and dominated and it was Really, what I learned was, look, if you have adversity, it's not the end of the world. Keep grinding. Trust the process. Keep working. And I think if you can learn that at 9, 10, 11, 12, uh, when you are 39, 40, 41, 42, when you have a setback, it doesn't feel like the end of the world. Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, I I think we talked about this at Worlds of Sport, actually, on stage with some of the presenters that we had, the guest speakers, is like the, one of the beauties I think of sports is the ability to learn accountability and to learn that, you know what, everybody's human and you're going to make mistakes. Like for myself in softball, I, I was an infielder. I played either second base or shortstop. And, you know, once in a long while, they would pull me into pitch and that was usually disastrous. But uh, what I learned on the infield was, you know, there's going to be occasions at second base or at shortstop where you get a ground ball that bounces funny and it goes by you. You're going to miss, you know, that easy pop-up fly that you should be catching. And what you learn in those mistakes and those failures is you turn to your teammates and you go, man, I'm sorry, my bad. That was my bad. And they understand. They forgive you. In fact, they turn around and they try to pep you up and say, hey, it's all right. Shake it off. Shake it off. You'll get the next one. I think that kind of stuff that you learn in sports where you learn the accountability for when something goes wrong, you can get through it, you get the forgiveness of your teammates, because guess what? Next time around, it's going to be them making a mistake, and it's going to be on you to try and lift them up and keep their spirits up so that you can finish the game well. I think what you're talking about is you can learn to be a good teammate while you're on a team. It's not just about winning. It's not just about personal success, but you can be a good teammate. All right, coming up, we're going to talk about Pac-12 Media Day. It's coming up tomorrow. Anna, you do media training. You con- you have been a con- consultant. I would say consult. You've been a consultant uh, to several coaches, executives, politicians. I I want you to talk about media training. George Klyovkov and the Pac-12, they got to deal with a sticky situation tomorrow. USC and UCLA will be in the house. Should they ignore them? Should they take the high road? How do you handle this? If you are the Pac-12 Conference, I want you to leave it here. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Less than a year ago that the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC entered what was called the Alliance. Anna, I want to play a clip here because George Klyovkov and Kevin Warren and Jim Phillips, the three commissioners of those leagues, were 
were asked questions about whether or not there were binding documents or was this a handshake deal. And, well, I'll play the question and answer from George Klyovkov, and then I want your reaction because I think George Klyovkov is going to be asked about this on tomorrow during uh, tomorrow's media day where the Pac-12 uh, football teams will be gathered in Los Angeles, and you know he'll be asked, uh, you know, more or less about his stance, his original stance when it came to the alliance. Here's the question, and George Klyovkov's answer. Yeah, hey guys, uh, I'm curious what kind of document has been signed or will be signed to formalize this alliance. Uh, how will it be legally enforceable, and will it include any language that prevents one league in this alliance from poaching members of another league? There's no signed contract. There's an agreement among three gentlemen, and there is a commitment from 41 presidents and chancellors and 41 athletic directors to do what we say we're going to do. If there's any um, lack of specificity in the press release, it's because we want to make sure we could deliver 100% of what we promised. So we're aligned in how we want to approach this, but there's no contract. There's no signed document, and there doesn't need to be. So given that, and by the way, I was watching the video of that, and I was specifically focused on Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner's eyes and mannerisms as the question was asked about poaching uh, universities. But Klyovkov uh, comes forth and says, hey, they didn't need a deal. They didn't need a side contract. Was that a mistake by him? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, we have that perspective now. We have that context. Um, but I, obviously he is going to be asked about this and whether he made a mistake it's super important, I think, you know, when I talk to clients that I coach with media training, that when you have something bad that happens like this, you have to control the narrative. Everyone is going to want to talk about the bad news and the mistakes that are made. Ideally, I would love to see Klyovkov come out on Friday with some different news, better news, good news in some way, some kind of announcement that shifts the focus off of what has happened and shifts the focus more onto what is going to happen and what the Pac-12 is going to do in serving the remaining schools that are within the conference. The idea that he didn't have a document, he's certainly going to be asked about that. And I think you're right in that, you know, you want to pivot here. You want to change what people are talking about. But, you know, he's... He has the misfortune of the, you know, earlier in the week, Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, coming out and not just saying, hey, we got L.A., but we might not be done. And so I think all of the pressure and focus, unfortunately, is on the Pac-12. And I wonder in future years if the Pac-12 will move their media day earlier to get in front of the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, so that they don't look like they're always responding and reacting instead of, being proactive, but what advice would you give Klyovkov as he's on stage tomorrow? Well, I mean, I think it's important for him to obviously answer authentically, but to try and keep his answers relatively short about the departure of USC and UCLA and what, you know, Warren is now saying, and try to go long on just about anything else that has to do with forward progress and, you know, give us an update. Talk about the, the negotiating window and what's happening there as much as possible. I know there's a lot that he probably can't say if there are serious negotiations that are happening uh, between, you know, ESPN and other entities that are involved. But he's really got to try and shift the conversation and change the conversation toward, 
what is future thinking and what is positive for the conference. Because otherwise, this entire media day is going to be just, you know, a review of the mistakes that have been made. I think another thing that I counsel clients on when they talk about crisis communications and bad things that have happened and they're the person in the hot seat that has to be answering the questions is it's super important for him to offer perspective, make a really large problem small and make small problems large. And what I mean by that is you can take this really bad situation, but you can offer the larger picture, which is the fact that Larry Scott and the decisions he made as the commissioner led us to this position. And, and sure, you know, there's accountability here for Klyovkov and what happened on his watch. But, you know, there, there's got to be a tactful way for him to talk about the bigger picture and how what is happening now is the result of what happened years and years ago. The Pac-12's mistake is all rooted in you know, the media rights deal that they signed under Larry Scott years ago. And, and you know, it will be pointed out that the Pac-12 conference was once in front when it came to revenue. and that, But unfortunately... The trade-off that the Pac-12 made all those years ago is they signed a 12-year deal. In 12 years in this media landscape is light years. I mean, it the, it was a horrendous mistake by Larry Scott and the presidents and the chancellors who were in charge at that time because uh, anybody could have forecast that that media deal would be great for a couple of few years but then would be awful. And I got to say this. I got to keep coming back to this because everything I looked at when I looked at Larry Scott's tenure over the years – he did a magnificent job of positioning himself as essential. His contract expiration, the lease of the building, everything was sort of timed in a way that it was expiring right before his own deal would expire so that he was necessary to be part of the negotiations. And I think what he did all those years ago, 12 years ago, a uh, decade ago now, uh, I think Larry Scott positioned it as a huge win for the first three years, and it got him multiple extensions, pay raises, but it really put this conference behind the eight ball because those media rights numbers that they got a decade ago have just been dwarfed. Even the deals that we're seeing in the last two and three years are, uh, you know, a, a, a 2x of what they were getting five years before. And so I think that you know, while there's a temptation right now for this conference to kind of sell out long term with their media rights and try to get everything back in one swoop, I think they've got to be pretty nimble, too. I think they have to talk or think about cutting a four or five or six year deal instead of a 10 or 12 year deal, because that's what ESPN's going to want. ESPN got a sweetheart deal. They've had the Pac-12 rights for all these years. They got them at a bargain in the last five, six years. And, you know, ESPN knows right now that the Pac-12 is vulnerable. Now, you mentioned there's a 30-day negotiating period that that is exclusive for Fox and ESPN that expires on August the 4th. Uh, you mentioned, like, he wouldn't be able to get too far inside baseball. I think he actually has to. I think he needs to share that they're getting positive bidding from ESPN, that they're excited about what they're seeing, because I think at the end of this negotiating window, what they're going to do, I, I doubt that they will come to terms and announce a huge deal and that'll be the end of it. I think they're going to then turn to the market and go, okay, what else is out there with Amazon, Apple, uh, you know, and other carriers? Because uh, I think they need those other bidders, or otherwise ESPN is, is not going to come with a great bid.
I think you make a good point about the length of a contract that they would sign because as we've seen, media is changing rapidly. Like, how many years ago was it that we all still had cable? And how many of us have then cut the cord and we are acquiring our television now in a totally different way, just streaming it through different services and whatnot? Like, that wasn't that long ago that that change happened. And so you wonder, you know, in the next four to five years, how will television viewing habits or sports viewing habits change? And how does that affect the revenue and the way that these deals are structured? But, you know, I think it's going to be a tough one. I do hope that there is good news to be shared because that can help shift the conversation. And frankly, for the conference, I hope there's good news to be shared. But the reality that it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out is that you know, the Pac-12 is not in a strong negotiating stance right now. It's like they are the ones who need the deal more. I don't know. You tell me if I'm wrong. Does ESPN need them more? Does Fox need them more? Or do, you know, do they need Fox and ESPN? Well, let's just talk about the strengths that they have. One, they have the Pacific time zone. Nobody can capture the Pacific time zone like the Pac-12 conference. Fox can talk all they want about USC and UCLA being in the Pacific time zone. Uh, and they may put some of those games on at 7 or 7.30 to capture some weekend night uh, audience. But the Pacific time zone is going to belong to the Pac-12 because ESPN is uh, going to want to put Oregon and Oregon State and Washington and Washington State and uh, all the rest of this conference, the Bay Area schools, they're going to want to put those games on on the weekend. And I doubt sincerely that UCLA and USC, because they can't play every game at home, keep that in mind, I doubt sincerely that they're wanting to kick off every game at 7.30 on the West Coast. So I think that you're going to see ESPN be interested in those Pacific time zone games like they always have been. They need that programming. The second thing that the Pac-12 conference has that that, uh, is a selling point is you still, even with the loss of the LA TV market, you still have about 12.5, 13 million television households. It's better than the Big 12. And it's an interesting addition if you look at the other ESPN holdings. They've got the ACC. They've got the SEC. But geographically, we're talking about the East Coast and the South. So if you're ESPN and you're looking to potentially marry some of your partners together in lucrative games that uh, could be crossover games, the ACC is an interesting problem that the ESPN has. The ACC members are restless right now. They were in a long-term deal just like the Pac-12 that has been outdated. Clemson, Miami, Florida State, they're all going, we're missing out. We're not getting the money that we should be getting. If you're ESPN, I think you could use the Pac-12 conference to create some crossover matchups that are very creative. This is made for TV stuff, right? This isn't for fans. This isn't really for the programs. But some crossover matchups with your ACC properties and your Pac-12 schools that could become new events. Uh, Clemson. Miami, Florida State playing Oregon, Utah, Washington, for example, on uh, you know the the typical Pac-12 championship week that last that first week in December. I, the other thing I think you could do if you're ESPN is you are awfully interested in the Pac-12 network, and the Pac-12 has long held the belief that the Pac-12 network had this uh, huge valuation. Was it was it uh, a billion dollars? Was it a half a billion dollars? Remember they did that private equity thing where. They were looking for people to buy equity in the Pac-12 network. Well, guess what? ESPN runs the ACC network. I could foresee a solution here. ESPN's got a problem because ESPN Plus, they've raised their subscriber rates. Uh, They went up by uh, 25% recently. 
and they don't have any content for ESPN Plus. So does the Pac-12 network content fit ESPN Plus? Those are your selling points, Anna. I don't think the streamers are ready to come in and compete with those, uh, you know, linear television, uh, traditional television uh, formats like CBS, Fox, ESPN, um, and and others. But I think those streamers could come in over the top and be candidates to bid on the Pac-12 network content. But what I think they're going to do is I think the Pac-12 is going to sell all of their content. I think ESPN's a like likely bidder. I would not be surprised to see Amazon or Apple come in as a secondary player, though. Yeah, and, and frankly, you know, you you made a good point. Like, Klyovkov has to come out and announce some kind of positive progress with those negotiations because his number one thing that he has to do right now is to keep the rest of the conference together. He can't let anyone else get poached. He can't let Oregon get poached. He can't let... Other schools get poached by other conferences. That would be that would kill the conference. All right, coming up, I'm going to talk about what Oregon, what Oregon State, what Washington, and what Washington State should be thinking about. You got the BFT statewide tomorrow, Pac-12 Media Day. We will be live from Los Angeles, right here, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, the University of Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State, I want to focus for just a moment on those four entities and how different they are. Like, we talk about college athletics, and I did an interview with Kirk Schultz one time, the Washington State uh, president, and we talked about the the challenges in, in among the NCAA members because you've got you've got like Texas and Oklahoma and Alabama and Georgia and LSU and they're all part of the same NCAA organization that uh, maybe some small colleges like Fresno State and even down to Portland State Sacramento State the Big Sky members they're they're all NCAA members and they have very different budgets they have very different expectations and goals and I think it's really difficult at the NCAA level to get things done and to get everybody thinking about the same things because they're all so different. Well, I also think it's the same sort of calculus in the Pac-12 conference because there is a massive difference between the University of Oregon and Oregon State when it comes to budget, when it comes to mindset, when it comes to goals for the season. I can remember years and years ago, Bob DeCarolis, the athletic director at Oregon State, uh, invited him in studio after Oregon State had made a bowl game under Mike Riley, and he was really happy. He was really happy about, you know, getting to a bowl game, and, he, you know, he, he went on air and he sort of talked about the the idea that the formula at Oregon State was just to be bowl eligible. Like, if you could be bowl eligible, it meant that you could renew enough season tickets. It meant that uh, you could pay all the bills. It meant that they were successful financially. They were successful on the field. They had a lot to talk about and celebrate, and every once in a while, Oregon State could rise up and win eight, nine, ten games, as they did under Mike Riley. So there was a very different formula there than the formula that Rob Mullins has at Oregon as the athletic director there and the expectations that are there. Uh, the expectations at Oregon are to compete for the conference championship and try to make the playoff. And, and nobody at Oregon State is going, uh, we want to make the playoff, like, as a goal at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think they would say that if you asked them, do you want to make the playoff? They'd say yes, but it isn't something that they're putting down on paper 
and aiming toward and gearing toward and spending toward. The same goes is the same goal is true at Washington State. Very different mindset than the mindset at Washington, and yet they are all members of the same conference. And geographically, I mean, there's like 45, 44 miles between the campus in Corvallis and the campus in Eugene, if that. Like, I I just think it's a really interesting dynamic. And so I want to spend a little bit of time in this segment uh, talking not about what the Pac-12 needs, because we I have talked about that. I have dissected that. What I really want to talk about is what does Oregon need? What is best for the Ducks? What is best for the Beavers? What's best for Washington State? What's best for Washington? And it's interesting as we start to talk about, you know, the Big Ten poaching teams that we often will include Oregon and Washington in the same breath and or Oregon State and Washington State in the same breath. And so I want to start with Oregon State and Washington State because I think it's a little easier equation. Oregon State and Washington State, the ultimate end game of success for them in this round of realignment, round of expansion, uh, expansion of the college football playoff, the ultimate mindset or the ultimate victory for those universities, those two universities, would be the remaining Pac-12, 10 Pac-12 teams sticking together. And ESPN or somebody else coming in with a media rights deal that worked for everybody, that, uh, you know, a number that starts with four when you talk about distributions. So I'm talking about $40 million per university per year. Um, you know, the Big Ten universities are going to get north of $70 million. The SEC is going to be north of $70 million, but if you can get uh, a $40 million a year deal and you're in the Pac-12, Oregon State, Washington State are going to be really happy. They're going to do cartwheels because it, it will mean that they are uh, financially sound. It will mean that they can continue co- to compete on the level that they're at. It will mean that they can continue to pay off uh, you know, the loans that they have on their facility improvements. Oregon State you know, has to be cringing a little bit because they, you know, they're amid this research stadium renovation while all this chaos is going on. And look, there's a possibility that, you know, what's left of the Pac-12 could look more like the Mountain West Conference in the end, like worst case, worst case scenario. I don't think it's going that route. But but if you're Oregon State and you're Washington State, a win here is seeing the 10 members stick together having a media rights deal that begins with the number four when we talk about distributions, so $40 million a year in distributions, and uh, lining that up in a maybe a window of five or six years. So you get a little bit of peace of mind. You get the financial stability that you needed, and you're still with the haves if you're those two universities. That's what they need. And that's why I think Oregon State and Washington State are probably going to be motivated to not, you know, I don't think that they're going to be interested in taking an unequal or uneven share of media rights money um, in the, you know, when it, as it pertains to their tier one rights, like their primary media rights. But I would, if I were Oregon State and Washington State, be amenable to uh, a revenue split uh, when it comes to the college football playoff distributions that would be inequitable. So what I'm saying is if, for example... Uh, Oregon or Washington makes the playoff. Uh, I, you know, net, currently they would split that twelve ways. You know, they get a one twelfth share. Everybody in the conference wins. When Oregon went to the college football playoff and beat Florida State and went to the national championship game, when Washington made the playoff and played Alabama in the semifinals, uh, their payouts 
which were north of $20 million each, were divided among all 12 members of the conference. Even the conference itself took a share. So it was one thirteenth, really, that they got. Well, I would, I would expect that Oregon State and Washington State would agree that, hey, look, in order to keep this conference together, because that's what's in their best interest, well, they would agree to, to a revenue split on bowl games and postseason and playoff that would allow a larger percentage to go to the team that is earning that berth. Uh, something like a 50% split. Uh, Oregon, if it makes the playoffs, gets 50% of the money, not one thirteenth. So, uh, and then the other remaining nine universities would split the other 50%. Uh, I think that kind of revenue share or revenue split is something that could absolutely be on the table. Because I don't think that Oregon State and Washington State could live with a media rights deal that wasn't even. I think it would be very difficult to be in the same room as the other members and go, hey, I'm only getting 70% of what you're getting. That's not going to work. But I think what could work and what would be ver- viewed as very fair is some kind of um, bonus system in which Washington, Oregon, Utah, whoever makes the playoff, if they do make a playoff when it expands, they get 50% of the revenue uh, that's generated from that playoff appearance. Everybody else splits the rest. I, and I think that could keep the conference together. That could, at least in the short term, buy them some time. Because if I'm Oregon or Washington, I'd be interested in that. So let me pivot now to Oregon and Washington's position. Because first and foremost, Oregon and Washington would have absolutely loved to tailgate USC and UCLA right out of the conference. Just like, hey, we're out too. See you later. Uh, you know, we want to be with the haves. I had a uh, longtime uh, high-level executive at the University of Oregon tell me that Phil Knight did not give all that money to the University of Oregon in order to be left in the minor leagues. Like, he didn't want to be left there. There's just nowhere for Oregon to go right now. So what Oregon needs to do is continue to position itself as attractive to the Big Ten, the SEC, and others – because I don't think this is all done. I kind of agree with the Big Ten. I think this is going to be a four- or five-year thing, and then now we're going to we're going to see another round of change. And so if you're Oregon, you really want to position yourself in the short term as attractive to those other entities. Now, if I'm Oregon, I don't want to take less than a full share to get into the Big Ten or the SEC. Don't sell out now. But if you're Oregon, you really want to hyper-invest in football. I, I was told by uh, more than one AD in the conference that the conference ADs were already talking about, uh, you know, the possibility that they were going to have take resources from track and field or wrestling or gymnastics or basket, women's basketball and other sports and, and uh, you know, steer it into football. They were already facing that possibility at other campuses. And I think if you're Oregon, you continue to take Phil Knight's money, you continue to take your media rights money, and you go full force into football trying to get yourself into the playoff. And I wonder a little bit if Oregon may have seen this coming because the way they hired Dan Lanning, the way they assembled his staff, the way that they kind of went all in, it really does support a massive investment in football. So I don't think Oregon is in a bad position right now. They're in a pretty advantageous position. I think they've got leverage within the conference. I think they could command a better than one-thirteenth split of their postseason revenue generated that I just talked about, I think they could go into that room with a straight face and go, look, if we make the playoff, we want 50% of the money. Like, if those playoff those playoff payouts are going to be $30, $40, 50000000 million each, that's why the Big Ten and the SEC are lining up the way they are. Uh, they know there's going to be 12 berths. They know that TV is going to pay out the nose for them. And I think Oregon could be well-positioned to get that. I think Washington is in much the same position 
The difference is, I think, you know, Oregon's got a better brand than Washington. I think it's more attractive as a brand. But Washington's got a better TV market with Seattle. So if I'm Washington, and I'm Jen Cohen at Washington, or Anna Marie Cosse, the president at Washington, I want to I put my shoulder right against Oregon. And I want to I position myself as this being a package deal. I'll take the same bowl college football playoff payout structure that I talked about with Oregon. I also am going to sell the fact that, hey, uh, my brand's pretty good at Washington, but I got a better TV market than Oregon. So you let Oregon and Washington sort of pose and posture uh, you know, for this beauty contest. But if you are the Ducks and the Huskies, the thing you have in the short term is you have an ability in the Pac-12 conference to matter. I don't think the Big Ten or the SEC members that are in similar positions um, find it quite as easy. Like, there's tremendous competition in the Big Ten. There's tremendous competition in the SEC. If you're Oregon, maybe you look over at what Gonzaga is doing in the West Coast Conference. Gonzaga has negotiated a tremendous media split. Gonzaga has, uh, you know, cut deals to, in order to stay in that conference that are extremely advantageous to Gonzaga, and they dominate their conference, and they get into the NCAA tournament every year because they just mop up. And I think Oregon and Washington should try to position themselves in the same way. Like, they can outspend the others, they uh, and they can posture in a way that the others can't. I think it's a really dicey time for Oregon State and Washington State because they're they're going to have to be more reactive than proactive. But if you're Oregon and Washington, you have nowhere to go right now. So the only thing you can focus on is a massive investment on football and trying to matter in the next two, three, four years in a way that the others can't. And if you matter in the way that the others can't, you get into the playoff with regularity, uh, I think that you could end up not only elevating the Pac-12 conference and making it a better conference, but you could end up attractive to those others if they choose to expand again. Leave it here. You got the bald-faced truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We touched on this story yesterday, but Mike Trout apparently doesn't want your prayers. That may be uh, an overstatement. Mike Trout said he appreciated all the support that he got after he came out and revealed that he had a rare spinal condition that could affect him for the rest of his career. But uh, a bunch of people started sending thoughts and prayers, and he says, I'm appreciative of the prayer requests, but my career is not over. Um, What he really meant to say is that he just needs to stay on top of the routine that he does on a daily basis to keep this from coming back. Ten-time All-Star. Uh, left a game against the Astros on the 12th of July with what was at first termed back spasms. He then went on the injured list a week later. They called it rib cage inflammation. Uh, on Wednesday, the athletic trainer for the Angels revealed it to be a rare spinal condition. Uh, he said, quote, this is a pretty rare condition that he has right now in his back. The doctor, who is one of the most well-known spine surgeons in the country, if not the world, doesn't see a lot of these. And for it to happen to a baseball player, we just have to take into consideration what he puts himself through with hitting, swinging on a daily basis just to get prepared, and playing the outfield, diving for balls, jumping into the walls, things like that. There's so many things that can aggravate it, but this doctor has seen a lot of it, end quote. Now, Trout apparently smiled when he talked to reporters on Wednesday talking about the overreactions. He said his phone was blowing up, his career was over, 
rare for a baseball player. It just means he has to stay on top of it. He, he's getting uh, some injections, but, you know, he's the second highest paid player in the game, star player, and, you know, he only played 36 games last season and was having kind of a uh, bright spot, bounce back season after, you know, just having those 36 games, but his team's been terrible, and Mike Trout's going to be fine. I guess that's the bottom line. That's the end of it. Speaking of injuries, is anybody else interested to see what happens to Damian Lillard this season? He's been coming out talking a lot about the abdominal injury and how it affected him negatively. And you know, we all know as the Blazers go, as Dame goes, as the Blazers go, so the saying says. But uh, if you are a Blazer fan, this is like there's nothing more pivotal. Like you can talk all you want about the summer and free agency and the draft and you know who's healthy and who's not for uh, all around Damian Lillard. But if Lillard's not right, the Blazers don't have a chance. So I think it's really going to be interesting to see how Lillard plays and to learn not to hear because you know players are going to tell you, oh, I was dealing with his injury. It was a terrible injury. It really harmed me and it was affecting my game and you know all that stuff. It happens. Players are going to tell you that. They're going to spin it like, hey, you know, I'm a new person. That's what happens this time of year, and that's what happens on media day for the preseason of the NBA. But we've got to see it from Damian Lillard. I really want to see this guy, as the Blazers have given him this contract extension, come in and look like Damian Lillard at his best from a couple of seasons ago. Like, at the absolute best that he was, he was a killer on the court, and the Blazers are going to need him because they're not going to score in free agency the way some other teams are going to score. They're not going to trade for Kevin Durant. Get that out of your head. That's something ESPN tries to sell to you and other sports radio shows try to sell to you to get you excited about listening to their shows. And I can sit here and lie to you if, if, if that makes you feel better. But the truth is, the greatest improvement that the Blazers could make from last season to this season is, you know, the letter zero. It's Damian Lillard being healthy and on the court and... Being the old Dame time Damian Lillard that, you know, can help carry a team. And look, you, you know, we can wish and dream all we want about the Blazers getting lucky in the lottery, not getting lucky, or maybe they find a player here, don't find a player. But I really do feel like sometimes what happens in an NBA season, or at least at the beginning of a season, is, you know, the greatest assets or the greatest improvements that you can make come from within your own roster, not from trading your problem for somebody else's problem or getting lucky in the draft. Like, that just hasn't happened in the last 20 years here in Portland. So I think, you know, I hope he's right. I I hope it because I think if Damian Lillard's right, the Blazers will at least be fun. And I think a lot of us are just hoping that this team can be entertaining, can be engaging, can, uh, you know, you know, raise your blood pressure a little bit and, and uh, make you believe at different times because – you know, the games last year at Motor Center were just absolutely flat. No energy, no excitement, no enthusiasm. They weren't playing for anything. And I think what really could change from last year to this year is, frankly, uh, Damian Lillard just being right, right? And and that abdominal injury, I can't imagine being, a, you know, if you or I had an abdominal injury, it would be a difficult thing to deal with. Damian Lillard, in the game that he has, having an abdominal injury, yeah, that would... Uh, that would severely inhibit him. But I got to see it. I don't want to hear about it anymore. I don't want Dame to tell me uh, how great he's going to be and how right he's going to be and I'm, how different he feels. We've heard that. We need to see that on the court. Uh, and there is no greater uh, addition to the roster that could be made 
than by taking a roster that did not have Damian Lillard available last year and suddenly going, hey, he's available to play, and guess what? He's the old Dame. Because that could make this season by itself at least interesting and exciting. Because, you know, as we have talked about, we talked about earlier this week how people's rooting interests have changed. I frankly think that there is a, a bunch of people out there that would love nothing more than to just, uh, you know, go and see one of the great players in the NBA be himself again. And frankly, the worst case scenario for the Blazers would be Lillard, you know, struggling again and dealing with injury again. And, you know, granted, Neil Olshay put a lot of minutes on, a lot of miles on him. But a lot of pressure on him to carry, you know, to carry the team, and uh, you know, maybe maybe it was no surprise that he broke down a little bit. But I like to see him back and at his best. All right, coming up, we got the happy hour. Bruce Barnum, Portland State football coach, joining us. He's among the guests tomorrow. We're at Pac-12 Media Day. Leave it here. You got the BFT. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Bruce Barnum is the Portland State football coach. He is fresh off Big Sky Media Day. Uh, he's got a lot to talk about with his team. I got a lot to catch up with him, and he's joining us now. Bruce Barnum, thank you for making time. Hey. John, thanks for having us. Give, know, give, uh, yeah, welcome ahead. to the heat wave. Welcome to the heat wave. Good lord, what do you guys do when it's this hot and you got to practice or you got guys working out? Uh, ice bath. You know, I made a mistake, John. Oh, I didn't make a mistake. I made a. We went to Camp Riley a few years ago, right? Yep. And I bought twelve water troughs, stainless steel, ten foot across, circles, and they. I put them on the ridge, right? And it it was beautiful. Because the the barracks at Camp Riley are on a ridge, you can kind of look out, you know, and see everything. And we fill them up with ice, fill them up with that, yada yada yada. And, but we haven't been back. Pandemic, we couldn't get it this year. Last year, my guys didn't want to do it, so I have twelve water troughs <laughs> that we're trying to figure out what to do with, and they're big, John. So if you have cows or horses. You know, and you want to support Barney Ball, I think I got a deal for you. Anyway, what were you asking? You know, you know what you do is we got a friend, okay? I don't know if you have friends like this. Anna has a friend, okay? And they're really into fitness and health, and they, they do an ice bath. I'm not right, up. That's what our guy, that's what yeah. we did at the, at the deal. I'm not up for an ice bath, but all you have to do is, is, is you get in the health and fitness business and be like, look, this, this is what we do, and then you sell these ice bath things and you get them off your chest. Stop right there. Let's roll back here. I mean, you got people driving now; they're laughing. Barnum in the health and fitness business, really. What are we going to sell? Hot dogs? Come on. Well, so did you get in the ice baths or just your guys? I have. Yes, I did. at Riley, I did. I saddled up and dipped down and watched the sunset and watched the helicopters land. You know, and it, it, it was good, but it was colder than the it, it was cold. Yeah. What does that do? What does that do for you? Because I've jumped in water, like I've Revive. jumped in. Yeah. Revive. <laughs> I don't know if that's the word I use. It wakes you up for sure. Yeah, you know? that's revive, John. All right. Google. All right. So let's talk about media day. You just got off of media day. You were in Spokane. How long were you in Spokane for this event? Um, arrived Saturday. Uh, we had to be there for a Hall of Fame dinner. 
so drove over Saturday with another coach who was part of uh, another thing they put together, a young coaches want to be head coach thing, uh, all day Sunday, all day Sunday. And then Monday we got out of there at, I finally left around, I think we got on the road at 3. So it was, it was an event. It felt like, you know, it was a while. So we only see, like, the the sound bites, right? That's all we get. How much behind-the-scenes actual strategy sessions are you guys having? Are, are they including you in this stuff? I, I get there's some formalities, Hall of Fame dinner, but are you talking with ADs? Are you talking with your conference commissioner and deputy commissioners as part of this event? Oh, yeah. It's kind of a state of the union. Yes, we are. Uh, it's the second day. And you used to... This used to be the one thing I, you know, you can't miss this, and then you had the media on Monday morning for half a day. But we sit down. It's a referee deal. The referee, head of referees, so they go through all the rule changes, all the statistics, you know, from our conference last year. Um, but it's kind of a Q&A, you know, and he shows video. He has some, some clips of the ones, you know, targeting is a big one. So they explain how that's done, and um, but that's a piece of it. Media is a piece of it. Uh, we're getting this much money from this news work. We're getting this much money. It'll be split between the schools. Uh, we have this many TV games, ESPN. Um, they go through that. How many hits? You know, stuff that. How many hits we have on social media as a conference? How many people watched our games? They tell us all that information. Uh, commissioner, he starts it all talks we talk about you know future actually this year was interesting um because all the stuff going on you know um you're going to be there uh tomorrow john all the realignment and how that's going to affect the fcs you know kind of predicting looking forward what do they tell you what do they tell you of that because you got a bunch of you got a bunch of payday games that, that are vital to the program and so do other big sky members what are they saying to you and you know what? I'm the one sitting there, John, and they're talking about all this. You know, if, if UCLA, you know, they're getting their ass ripped by the governor, but they might still go, and USC, and I'm, that's all I'm sitting there going, well, am I going to still be able to play the Pac-12 and still get that money? Um, that was not addressed. They were more just predicting what it's going to do to our conference, what it's going to do, how it's going to affect us down the line. Money game situation was not brought up, and it wasn't. I, I didn't think it was the time because nobody really knows what's going to happen when the dust settles right now. So I didn't think it was the time to ask that question. But we're we're looking into right now. I, I need a. We're looking into that right now, JJ and I, my athletic director that joined us. He, I need games. I need some future money games. So I'll know soon. In, in our future, uh, if you have the Vikes on again, I'll fill you in on that because I'm curious when I call such and such, you know, hey, uh, guarantee me 550 or 625. What, where are we at? And I'll tell you what they say. You know I me, mean? I'm not going to hide it. Yeah, it, the market for those games has gone up. Because you know, I, I'm seeing some of the deals that were made years ago that were like 350, 400, 425. I'm seeing fives and sixes now. Well, you're talking to the guy, John. You're talking to the guy from FCS that's pushing the envelope. You know, Alabama approached me after Washington smacked me in the chops that year. They were really good and went to the Final Four. Alabama said, "Well, if they can beat Portland State and still make the playoffs, let's call them." They called me. You know, because the FCS number is between, depending on what conference you're in, between 400 and 625 right now. I told Alabama 
that year. I said, Sabes, I said, it wasn't his people, but, you know, I'll talk like I talked to him. I said, Sabes, give me one, because I was playing Arkansas that year, uh -huh. the next year. I said, give me 1.7, I'm all yours. <laughs> I said, we'll, we'll roll in, and I won't even ask for free sandwiches. They said no, sign somebody else for, I saw the number, actually, uh, for, like, in, in the fives or sixes. Yeah. But I wasn't going to play two SECs for no. 500. I mean, come on, Barnum's not that stupid. No. You know, they've and they've got, you know, now that TV money's out there, you know what they can afford to pay. I think I think ultimately it'll trickle down to you guys. If I was the big sky, I'd be talking to you guys going, look, this is great for the big sky because if the Big Ten and the SEC and the Pac-12 are going to start printing money uh, with these new deals, that money's going to find its way down to those payday games. I mean, that makes sense, doesn't it? That's what I'm. That's that's the line I'm in, John. Because I would love to just play one of those games. You know, I, I would love to take one of those games off my docket in the future, which means I have to make more money on one of them. So that that's my plan in the back of my head. I, I'm tired of this. You know, two games, your odds you winning or or low. Yeah, we might sneak some, but I need to get that to one game. And if that happens, when that happens, I'm going to be in front of that line calling everybody that has an open date saying, hey, you know, pretzels, I'll buy Section 69 free beer, <laughs> and let's roll. I'll be there. Oh, now just a section, not the whole stadium, is getting well, free they beer? Get, they get a bigger crowd than me. <laughs> God, I can't do everybody. Let me ask you, Bruce Barnum's with us, Portland State's football coach. You've played – more than one of these big games and seasons where I've seen you play Washington and others in the same season, but that takes a physical toll on your team. How do you weigh that? Because I know that Washington game all those years ago, you guys got beat up a little bit in that game physically. Well, and we've, talked, we've touched on this a little bit. You're right. That's something I have to watch. And that's why I won't sign up a if, you, if, you, if you're on option. Army, Navy, I'm not signing up an option team because it seems like you get more beat up, you know, when they're cutting you and throwing at you. And I try to get uh, – I watch that. But, yes, the Washington game, honestly, is the only one I really got stuck at. I got, you know, uh, seven deadly sins. I got a little greedy. We took more money from, you know, Peterson. And they were good. I mean, they were fast. They up front. They dominated. And at halftime, I told you I had, a, you know, one of my student athletes actually was a season ending. I'm like, what am we doing here? But you have to watch that. That's more on the scheduling side, though. I think you kind of have to predict. Yeah. Okay, how good is this team going to be in five years? You know, who's the head coach? Are they in trouble now? Which means a coaching change. Which means I'll catch them on the rebound. You know, I, I look at those things when I schedule the game. Bruce Barnum's with us, Portland State football coach. I got a chance to talk to some of your guys recently, and we were talking about the games you have on the schedule. And uh, I believe you got Washington this year. And uh, the, you know, there was it, there was some light in there was some spark in your guys' eyes because I felt like they felt like, hey, this isn't a game where we're going to get blown off the field. Is there something going on with you guys? Like, are you talent-wise better than you've been in other years? And because I, I believe your guys believe, which is a, which is half the battle, isn't it? That's ninety percent of the battle, John. Yes, uh, we're talented. My, uh, for I thought we should have won more last year. I the first meeting I had, John, was two days after the season ended last year. I sat down with my strength coach and my trainer. And I said, love you to death. You're the greatest guys in the world, but you get an F. I'm grading you F. 
we have to stay healthy. And I, I don't, that's not my world. I told them we must change this. I have, our team has to stay healthy. We don't have the depth everybody else has. But my want, my first group, you know, and some second, some of those second teamers, um, we have a chance every Saturday. But if they are in the tub, you know, in those cow troughs, you know, trying to get better, uh, we're, we're not going to win. I need to stay healthy. If we do that, I think it will be fun to watch uh, every Saturday. You got a quarterback? I know in prior years you've had a veteran quarterback. I know he, he finally aged out. What are you going to do at that position? Well, uh, you know, that's what everybody, that's that media day. You asked about media day. I said, hey, here's your quarterback. I mean, hey, Davis is with Montreal Alouettes. Hey, Davis could throw the ball this far. Um, I like my, I like that line. If we play tomorrow, I like I love QB one. He's different, you know, and that's one thing you have to do as a, as a coach. You have to make sure you the offense melds or whatever that word is, forms, conforms. I don't know what the word is to who he is, you know. And he's I mean he, he he's a dude. John, when I signed him, Deshaun Shed, the guy that's with the Seahawks now coaching, uh, he played up there. This guy's brother, he had two brothers in the NFL. One of them's Locker. He just got signed in Detroit. His brother was next to Deshaun Shedd's Locker. He goes, oh, you know, I got a brother. Oh, he goes, oh Portland State's talking to him. Deshaun Shedd finished my recruiting. He said, whoa, 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 Portland State, that's where I went. He said he has a chance to play there for Barney. Go. He's got, he committed to us. He's here. He's been waiting in line behind, you know, Davis. And he's fun to watch, John. He's growing up. So stay tuned on that one. I think I think he could be a, a, a guy. All right, we've seen the transfer portal. Anytime you start talking like that, I start thinking, okay, are you going to develop a guy that is going to jump in the portal? How do you keep a guy out of the portal? Loyalty, that's all I have. You know, we've talked about this. And now, actually, when you come here, I just had a we'll talk in a future interview. There's a student athlete I know that's going somewhere else, and now you have to sign something. Um, I was not talked to by Coach Blank before I entered the portal, mm-hmm. you know, because at the Big Sky thing, I went out with – there's five other coaches that I'm – that I I think are dudes I like we hang out yada yada we got together on a break before the Sunday dinner I think it was and you know uh, sat down and at the terrace saloon and shot the bull and anyway one of them showed me text from another school to one of his players you know the guy they were texting him saying hey you know come here We'll give you this and that. And he didn't know what to do. He said, what do we do about this? So that's where we're at as coaches. But all I have to throw at him is loyalty. I almost lost one guy this year. He sat in my office, tears, yada, yada. Coach, I love you. I'm going to stay here. But, you know, that's all I have. I, I can't. So I just try to treat the kids right. I think the more guys you could get to the NFL, and I know, like, you've had some guys over the year. The program has put guys in the NFL like Deshaun Shedd, but, the more you can do that, the more you can tell guys you don't need to go somewhere else. Um, do you have a guy? Do you have NFL talent on this roster? We do. We do. Um, we're getting a lot of attention already. Um, I have three guys on the watch list for uh, the Senior Bowl. I have a guy that I think, if he stays healthy, could play multiple years as a special teams slash backup receiver. You know. 
Um, I have some guys you're looking at, and probably four guys. So yes, this year I have that talent, and and, and you know that's I mean that's how you're going to win. And all these coaches talk. I am the best coach ever. I take care of my guys. I can out scheme anybody. It's who you have on your team. And this year, yes, we built it um, to where we have that talent that we're getting some attention from uh, the scout circuit. You know. Bruce Barnum with us, Portland State football coach. Um, let's pivot a little bit here. Uh, you know, you you mentioned the last time I talked to you that you guys were looking for that final home game. You were trying to lock down a stadium. You're playing your games out in Hillsboro. Did did you get resolution with the Sacramento State game? We did. We did. Um, I had it in my hands. You know, we talked the numbers I was throwing at them. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That was the San Jose movement. I'm jumping. Sacramento State, yes, we were booted out of Hillsboro. Uh, we worked it out, and it will be Friday night um, instead of Saturday. It will be Friday night, our last home game, um, at Hillsboro. So that did get settled. That's good. So you just had to move from a Saturday to a Friday? Yes. They just didn't want to do it. They said, no way. We're traveling the week before, Barney. I'm not going to have a week less or a day less prep for you. I'm like, come on. A- anyway, it, uh, at the end, uh, we're playing Friday night, and everything worked out. And I know we keep bringing up the idea that you need a home stadium. You you say it yourself, but do you feel like with the new athletic director, John Johnson, you, that you're in conversations or that you have a plan for that? It was in conversation the first week. John, um, J.J. and I talked often. He actually introduced me to a guy. He pulled me in his office the other day. There was a guy that he's had at other stops, a construction guy that lives here in Portland. That you know. So, yes, the talks are being had. Um, you know, I don't know when that is. It might be when, when you and I are out fishing in the Okefenokee, you know. Um, shaking hands and drinking lemonade at 80 years old. I don't know when, but at least he's on it. It's in the conversation. He's talking about it. He's talking about the right things. He's talking about the things I need. Uh, he came in. He said, you know, where are we at? I said, scholarships. You know, get me, get my scholarships up. Feed my team. I just need you to feed my team instead of me, you know, trying to Costco them and, you know, all this. Feed my football team and get me a stadium. You'll be money. Bruce Barnum has been kind enough to stick around for a second segment. Coming up, Coach, I want to ask you about your team this season. I want you to leave it right here. Uh, Portland State football coach Bruce Barnum continues after the break. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. has been with us. Uh, we are continuing an interview. We've been all over the map. I want to talk football now. Uh, I want to get down to the nitty-gritty on your team, but also I, I want to help people who are watching football games. When We always talk about third-quarter, second-half adjustments. Why why not make those adjustments during the game? Or are, or are those major adjustments better when you can gather your team a little bit and regroup? Because I know you're tweaking all the time, but give me an idea. You've been on a lot of staffs. You've coached a lot of games. You played that chess game with Mike Leach and others across the field. Like, you know, give us an idea of what we're seeing on game day adjustment-wise. Uh, uh, that's an inter- 
That's why I do it, what you just said, and that's why I think you can win some games, John. Uh, it's, uh, I don't know where you got this question, but uh, th- this is a fun one. Um, the great coaches, and you can see it. Um, I'm, I'm breaking down next year's opponents now. The great coaches or the above average, whatever you want, I don't know how you want to rank them, they do it in the first and second quarter. The guys that are all right do it at halftime. The guys who I know I'm going to beat don't ever do it. And they're all out there. You know, I see them all at my level. Um, but there are guys that are doing it after each series, you know, and they, they're over there, they adjust, you come back out, and you get you don't guess wrong, you predict wrong again, you're saying, okay. So that's where being in a conference and knowing, I mean, the first thing I look at, I told you this moons ago, is who are their coaches? Who is their defensive coordinator? Obviously, because I'm more involved on the offensive side. What is, his, what is his background? Has he had success? What did he do in these situations? Um, you, you talked uh, last segment about Washington State. Uh, brief we Grinch I got Grinch he was the first that was his first game of being a defensive coordinator uh, when we beat them in 15 so know what they're going to do predict it but some of them are tough there are some good defensive coordinators in this conference. I mean, above and beyond. I know I could name two of them right now, but then there's other other side too. Um, I had a guy last year that didn't adjust, didn't adjust the entire game. You know, and then you're wow. going into halftime as an offensive staff saying, okay, they're doing this. They're going to change at halftime. Here's their options. I'm guessing they do this. Let's make sure we're prepared for that. Let's run this. Let's go to this section on the game chart. I'm going to call this this to hopefully be a step ahead of him again. Uh, but then you come out and they're not doing it. You know, what are you doing over there, Charlie Brown? Um, so that's a, the, as a game goes on, that's the most that's the most fun, John. That, that that's cool to try to you know it's that chess series we watched with that girl that swiped the whole nation and won that contest. <laughs> that's the game, you know. The Queen's Gambit. That, that's Queen's the, Gambit. the game yeah, you're playing. Yeah. Hey, uh, how do you know when you got another staff? Can you tell, just not from the result of the play, but can you look across the field and see the look on their faces or the turmoil on the sideline and, and you know you got them on the ropes? Yes. Yes. But you have to stay there. You know what I mean? <laughs> you might have them for like three series in a row, uh, but you have to. You don't know when, uh, say, the head coach is stepping in. You don't know what's going. The game changes. You know, it always changes. So if you rest on your laurels, you're going to be sitting in the mud. Love that. Bruce Barnum is with us. Uh, the identity of this team. You switch quarterbacks. Will the identity change, or will you run what you run? Um, it, it, it'll. It'll just be tweet. It won't be that different. You might see more of what you saw, like with a when I was a coordinator here, because this kid runs. Uh, I think he's faster than most of the big sky. Uh, but you know, you have that. You know, you got to teeter back and forth. Uh, how many times you want to get him hit? You know, because that's a. You don't want to get him banged up. Um, so I think you'll see some. Not totally different, but because I like who who we've recruited. I think my receiving core. I think I have six receivers that uh, are just outstanding. I'm, uh, I mean, I think we have some ways to score. So I'm hoping um, 
Well, I'm pretty sure you're going to see, if you just come to our game, say you come to them three, three a year, two a year, you'll see pretty much the same thing. The you know we got a chance to know some of your guys. You got a you got a defensive back who is big, tall, long. He's a great athlete. He was volunteering as part of your group at Camp Exceptional. I'm talking about Mike Jackson or Michael Jackson. I don't know what you call him, but he, the kid was fantastic. And I looked at him and I said, he's got NFL written all over him if he can play. Can he play? MJ is finding his way. You know, he's he came in a little bit of a greenhorn, you know, wide-eyed, but he's settling in. Um, and he's kind of my, one of my watch guys this year, you know. Uh, you're right. He, he he looks the part. He's fast. He just, I mean, when the, I'm hoping the game slows down for him this year. So, and on camp, except I saw him this morning. I, I didn't even have to turn around. Uh, they were doing workouts, and I was talking to uh, some parents that were watching the workouts, and, and he said, Coach, and he talked behind me. You know his voice is so yeah. – I, I said, that's MJ. I don't even have to turn around. Um, and on your – you know, on your camp, uh, John, on camp exceptional, you know, I, you don't know this. I was up in the stands, and I talked to a grandfather. I talked to a mother. I talked to a dad. Um, then a couple of them came back as I was watching that final day. And, you know – uh, you talk about the day and our kids and that. what was pretty damn cool and everybody knows this, I call it the Christmas effect the anticipation in those households of the kids at your camp and obviously I'm talking about the repeats the ones that come back yeah. the anticipation all year for those kids I saw I heard from those parents that was pretty cool stuff they're just oh yeah you know, Jared just was he couldn't he can't wait for this camp coach. He can't wait to be around your guys. That you know, that that's probably better than your week of camp. Those kids just you know, like I said, the Christmas effect. You, you got, see those presents and you're like, Oh my god, we're gonna vacation effect. And, Going to Wally World in a month. Well Wally World might not be any fun, but thinking about how much fun it's gonna be is pretty cool. It's interesting because you guys have come out for years and supported, and now we are seeing like some of the same players are coming back each year, and they know the kids. They're familiar with the culture of the camp, and it really helps. And then what we have seen is, you know, the Portland State men's and women's basketball programs go, hey, how, you know, football's out there. We'll come out too. And then University of Portland says, hey, we'll come out too. And so pretty soon, like it, it's everybody like putting their arms around these kids, and I think it's. It just makes the camp. like So I appreciate you guys buying in. And what I'm telling our listeners and what I'm telling the campers and their parents is, look, Portland State football is supporting the community. They're supporting kids in the community. And, and they're carpooling out to, to be part of this camp five days in a row at 7 o'clock in the morning and staying there for hours and giving their energy. And they're not just going through the motions. like They are engaged. And so I said, in return, we got to support Portland State. We need to go out to Hillsborough as a group. People need to support and buy into those who are who are buying into the kids in, in our community. Well, you said it three times, and what you just said, John, and I was going to say I was going to sum it up in one word, but you have to fill time. All that's going on in Portland, all that's going on around here, you just said it. Community. When I walked away, when I left your camp that day, after Anna was very kind and giving me a, a free cup of Joe. Um, it was 
the bottom of the you know rotten pot cooking, but I didn't care. Uh, the black smudge is what I prefer. Walking away, I said, you know what? That that's what people need to see around here. And you talk about Portland and the community and what we used to be. You know, I, I remember going to Portland. John, here's, here's a note. I would go to Portland. My brother, they drop us off. My dad worked at that building you used to be in with a tree on it. Looks like a Duracell battery. Yep. And we knew that was home base. You, if you're not there at noon to have lunch with Dad, you're going to be in trouble. But we we got to wander the city. We'd run it, my brother and I. We'd just run it. But I remember coming back once, and I he was sitting there. We we're waiting outside with his friends, and I dropped like a like the silver thing that gum comes in. Yeah. That dropped out of my pocket on the ground. I almost lost my ear. My dad grabbed me and because I walked away from it. And he said, you do not ever litter here. Do you not understand the fine? <laughs> you know, that's a three. And, but then you see what we've become. It's a little messy around here in spots. But I walked away from your deal, and I said, you know what? That's the community. That's the people. That's the laughter. I talked to the tennis coach at LaSalle. He was out there, and all his tennis players were watching over. They weren't they weren't play, paying attention to the coach. They were watching all the screaming and hollering at your place. And I walked away going, you know what? That's Americana. That's that's what who we are. Anyway. There's a ramble for you. No, I love that. I love that. Hey, look, I, I I encourage people to support Portland State football. Look at the schedule. Pick out a home game or two to attend. I, I, we've been out there with the kids. It's a fantastic family event, especially that Friday night game at the end. But get to know this team. Get to know Bruce Barnum. We'll have you on throughout the season, Coach. But I wanted to catch up with you out of media day. So thank you for making time for us. All right. Thanks, John. Man, really good stuff with Bruce Barnum. I, I got to tell you. The the campers who are at Camp Exceptional were ecstatic to go to camp. But Barnum is missing part of the equation. Part a, a large part of the equation, a large part of why the kids at the camp are excited about coming back to the camp is the culture and the atmosphere of the camp. And we there are for people who don't know Camp Exceptional, it was born um this was the ninth camp this summer. It happens every July. It sells out every July. Uh, and it is a camp uh, that is a sports camp, but it's really more of a relationship camp. And it is a camp that is comprised of special needs kids or kids with challenges who are in the camp alongside kids who are typical. And we have utilized Portland State football players for years as team leaders. And now Portland State basketball, men's and women's programs are coming out. And the University of Portland, Shante Leggins, brought his team out. And I can't tell you what it means for kids who are both uh, facing challenges and kids that are typical. I can't tell you what it means uh, to them to see athletes who are essentially heroes in their eyes. These big, hulking, giant football players who come out and take kids by the hand and run them through drills and smile with them and are engaged with them. And I'm not kidding you. Like The, the team leaders are required to be out at the camp at like 7 o'clock in the morning for camp and the camp ends at noon every day. They're they're not getting paid. They're volunteered. You know they volunteer. They raise their hands. They carpool out from many of them coming from downtown Portland out to Milwaukee, and they go through this camp and they invest in the kids. And by the end of the camp, uh, the kids are high fiving the counselor and they're telling the team leaders, "We're going to come see you play football." And it's a remarkable experience. And it doesn't happen though without Bruce Barnum's team buying in. 
And I know it's Big Sky football. I know it's FCS football, okay? It's not like seeing the Oregon Ducks or the Oregon State Beavers play. But if you want to give back, give back by buying a ticket to go see Portland State football play this season. Go see them in Hillsboro. Take your family out there and know that you can feel good doing it. Leave it here. More ahead. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Tomorrow, you will be hearing Pac-12 Media Day right here on this show. Like, for those of you who can't go to Pac-12 Media Day because you're not a media member, I'm going to take you there tomorrow. And it's not going to be me sitting in Portland or sitting somewhere in the state of Oregon broadcasting, uh, you know, what I think is happening at Media Day. That's what the other stations are going to do. We're going to be there. We're going to be in person. We're going to have live interviews with Oregon State head coach Jonathan Smith. We're going to have live interviews with UCLA coach Chip Kelly uh, on the show tomorrow in a one-on-one interview. George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner, he will be with us on the program. Cam Rising, the Utah quarterback, will make an appearance. Kyle Whittingham, Utah's coach, will be on this show. Dan Lanning, first-year coach at the University of Oregon, will be on the show. Lincoln Riley will make his uh, debut appearance. Herm Edwards, what I'm saying is we're going wall-to-wall. 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. tomorrow, three hours straight, live from L.A. I want you here. Now, we have talked now for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks about the Pac-12. We have wrung our hands. We have fretted. We have wondered what George Klyovkov could say to help bind together the Pac-12 conference or the 10 teams that are remaining. I have reported what I know to be true. I have talked to athletic directors. I've talked to university presidents, plural, and I believe that the Pac-12 conference is going to pull together. I don't know for how long. I don't know in what form or fashion. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sell you hope that I don't think is there. But I think a lot of the reporting that we have seen in the last week or two about the gloom and doom, we're going to get some answers from George Klyovkov, the Pac-12 commissioner. And, oh, by the way, can I just step back for a second? Can I say for a moment, like, I am I'm a little bit happy that the Pac-12's got Klyovkov and not Larry Scott at this time. Can you imagine Champagne Larry trying to get up on Pac-12 Media Day while the conference has lost UCLA and USC to try to explain away, uh, you know, his misgivings, his misdeeds? Like, I reached out to Larry Scott, the Pac-12 commissioner. I called his cell phone. I texted him. I got no reply. Of course not, because he doesn't want to be anywhere near this thing right now. And frankly, I got to be honest. I think if Larry Scott were in charge of the Pac-12 right now, I, I wouldn't have any confidence that it could stay together. But I think Klyovkov did a really smart thing a year ago when he was brand new on the job. He went out, he went to Pullman, he went to Eugene, he went to Corvallis, he visited Seattle, he was in Tucson, he was at, you know, he went to Phoenix and visited with Arizona State. And what I'm saying is he did this listening tour where he talked to athletic directors, he talked to campus leadership, he galvanized people. Now there's nothing he could do to help USC and UCLA stay in the fold. I just don't think it's in the cards. But I'll be interested to see tomorrow in in L.A., as you come with me to Pac-12 Media Day, and I hope you're here for it from 3 to 6, I'll be interested to see and hear like how far that went, that listening tour went, in helping hold this conference together. 
Now, is, does Klyovkov have good ideas? Does he have the connections in the media world? Are they going to be able to negotiate a media rights package that keeps the conference together? All of those questions out there, and I think Klyovkov will try to do a good job tomorrow of galvanizing the conference, selling a little bit of hope, but I think he does have to share. I disagree with some of the other media members who are saying, you know, he's not going to be able to share any of the insight into the negotiations. I think nonsense. I absolutely think he will do some public negotiating tomorrow as part of his news conference. There's no downside to it. If he is in this exclusive 30-day window with Fox and ESPN, there's absolutely no downside to George Klyovkov going public tomorrow and saying, look, here, here's the reality. We need to sell our not only our Tier 1 rights, but we need to get into the Tier 2 business, and the Pac-12 network is on the table. There's a possibility here that the Pac-12 network ends up on Apple TV, or the Pac-12 network ends up on Hulu, or the Pac-12 network ends up uh, blending with the ACC network and ESPN Plus and, and falls under that umbrella. And and why I think that's important for him to, to share is, look, there's a negotiating element here to what Klyovkov is doing with ESPN and Fox that is exclusive to ESPN and Fox. Like, they're the only ones that can bid right now. You will ultimately want to take your media rights to market. You'll want everybody else to have an opportunity to bid, including Amazon, Apple, ESPN+, Plus, Fox, CBS, and Turner. You want everybody who could potentially bid on your media rights to have a crack at it because then the market isn't going to lie. The market's going to tell the Pac-12 what their rights are worth, Tier 1, Tier 2, uh, all that streaming stuff with Pac-12 Network. What is it worth? And I'll be really curious to see how much Klyovkov will share about the negotiations. He'll probably downplay the specifics, but I do think he will talk about uh, the interest that he's getting from ESPN+. And they obviously uh, consult with outside agencies that are probably talking to Amazon, Apple, and some others who may want to get in on the bidding. I am really excited to see what happens. I'm a little nervous for the Pac-12 as well, because if George Klyovkov doesn't have a strong performance in his 8 a.m. news conference, which is the one that all the national media members are going to take and disseminate, uh, I fear that it will not bode well for the conference staying together. So I think it's a really important performance for him. I think it's going to be must-see TV. We're going to talk about it on tomorrow's show. He will visit us one-on-one. I'll ask him some tough questions. But I'm also interested in talking with Chip Kelly and Jonathan Smith and Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams and Dan Lanning, and you get to hear it all. So if you have questions that you want me to ask, you want me to ask a question of Dan Lanning or Jonathan Smith or George Klyovkov, there's a number of ways you can do that. You can subscribe to my johnconzano.com newsletter and website. You can get a free subscription. You can get a paid subscription. Do what works for you. But you can shoot me a question through that that venue and that portal. Really easy to get to me. Uh, You can also tweet at me, at BFT if you have uh, a question you want to ask. Also, uh, you know, you have the ability on Instagram, at JohnConzano on Instagram, to message me and, and send me your questions. But... If you got a question that you are dying to have answered, uh, there's going to be some access for you to these individuals. You get that nowhere else. That's what part of the show that I love is it is very three-dimensional. You have a chance to reach out and get your question asked on Pac-12 Media Day. So go ahead and do those things. I want you to leave it here. you got the bald-faced truth. i got some parting thoughts coming up. Peter Sampson and the Pulse coming up top of the hour right here on 750 The Game. 
But uh, great show today. We have one more segment here, and then tomorrow it's going to be wall-to-wall, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., Pac-12 Media Day. The Bald Face Truth will be live in Los Angeles, downtown L.A., for the entire spectacle. I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up, Peter Sampson uh, on 750 The Game. Peter Sampson and the Pulse coming up uh, top of the hour. Great show today. We've had great guests from John Wilner to Bruce Barnum and everything in between. A lot of discussion about tomorrow, Pac-12 Media Day. I don't know if you've heard this is going on. Uh, it, it's going to be a big deal. George Klyovkov uh, at 8 a.m. will begin speaking tomorrow in downtown Los Angeles at what I suspect will be the final Pac-12 Media Day held in L.A. Larry Scott, a decade ago, declared L.A. the sports capital of the world, made a big deal about the fact that this uh, Media Day was being held there and was at the Fox Studios at the time. Blasphemy now. Fox Studios probably will host one day host the Big Ten Media Day. But uh, I suspect the Pac-12 is going to look at either rotating the event to places like Phoenix, the Bay Area, Salt Lake City, even Portland or Seattle, or they may just decide to hold the event in Vegas every year and uh, try to make it a showcase event. I think that really depends in part on what happens in this uh, round of media rights negotiations. But tomorrow at 8 a.m., George Klyovkov will take the stage at uh, a music venue. Brian McKnight plays that venue, I think, and some others. But Klyovkov will be on the stage. Uh, The coaches and players from the Pac-12 teams will follow him. But I think you will see between 8 a.m. and 9 a.m. a lot of George Klyovkov on your social media timelines and a lot of news that will be coming out about what he is saying. And when you tune in at 3 p.m., Tomorrow, Klyovkov will join me one-on-one. So um, he's not doing a whole bunch of one-on-one interviews, but I'm getting one of them. He's going to join this radio show. Uh, Dan Lanning, the Oregon football coach, will be on this show. Jonathan Smith, the Oregon State football coach, will be on this show. Uh, Lincoln Riley, USC's coach. Caleb Williams, USC's quarterback. A whole bunch of other coaches in the conference. We'll get them all. David Shaw. Uh, you know, Justin Wilcox. I'm going to ask Wilcox about interviewing for the Oregon job. Why not? I think it's going to be a really lively show tomorrow. And I hope you tune in and uh, just leave it in wall-to-wall, whatever you're doing tomorrow. I don't know if you're beating the heat and you're inside or if you're going to be driving around working or working outside. But uh, just flip your radio on 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. and we will take care of the rest here. So I think it's going to be a really fun day. It's going to be a really interesting day. It could be a formative day for the Pac-12 conference. But we talked a little bit earlier with Anna about kind of the crisis management role that Klyovkov's got to take. And I and I think it's an important one. He, I, th- I do think he's got to leave us with something positive to talk about. I do think he's got to leave this conference glued together in a way that maybe it didn't feel glued together before, yet, before tomorrow's um, event. Uh, I, I think it could be the kind of moment where he comes out and talks about the commitment that the university has, the universities have made to each other. I do think there are a couple of antsy parties in this conference. I think Oregon's one of them. I think Arizona State is another one of them. I'll be curious, as I talk to Herm Edwards and Dan Lanning, the respective coaches at those universities tomorrow, uh, what they will say about all of this. Uh, but let's not forget, if I can just for a second, let's just not forget the role that 
all of this is supposed to play in our lives, it feels hyper-important. It feels more important than it should. It, these games are supposed to be a diversion for the rest of us. And this is something that has bothered me since the beginning of this month. When we entered this month talking about USC and UCLA and them leaving and blowing up tradition and what's going to happen to the Rose Bowl and all this crap that we've been talking about since the 1st of July. Um, it, you know, it's bothered me a little bit that this stuff all feels less like sports and more like real life. I mean, does it feel that way to you? Like, you know, sometimes maybe you come to this radio show because you're, you're, you're trying to get away from real life. Kids screaming, fighting with each other, you know, bad bosses, you know, heaven knows we've dealt with those. Uh, you know, just you, you're looking for a little escape. And the problem is your sports world lately, in particular, the college football world, has felt a little bit too much like regular life. It's like, where do we go for our escape now? Like, if, if this is what college football is going to be for the, for the short term, it's going to be a money grab, if it's going to be greed, if it's going to be the loss of tradition, the nostalgia and geography thrown out the window, like, where are we all going to get our fix or get our escape? It's something that has bothered me from the beginning of all of this. So I want to thank those of you out there who have kept context, who have maintained that, like, look, I'm in this or I'm in sports or I follow sports because I want to follow the teams that I love and I want to feel the feeling and of being part of something bigger than myself. And I want to uh, get the get, you know, the hair on the back of my neck standing up and, you know, all those great things that sports can do to you. Like, you know, frankly, I did a story you go a column years ago. Uh, Oregon was playing Michigan at Autzen Stadium. Remember that game? Michigan came to Autzen Stadium. Imagine that. Michigan. At Autzen Stadium, playing a football game, you know, and I went out and I found a fan who was legally blind, who has a season ticket holder, and you know, I I talked to that fan about what the experience was like inside the stadium on game day. That fan talked about the feeling in the crowd, knowing with the ball in the air, that you know couldn't see it but could anticipate how special it was going to be. The the roar of the crowd was about to happen, and. And, and I left that like that interview with that fan smiling because it reminded me that sports, you know, it, sometimes sports is like this, this uh, teleport machine that we can all get into and it can take us somewhere better, somewhere different. And sports needs to continue to do that. And that's one of the big beefs I have with what's going on right now with college football. It's become way too serious, way too much like real life. We need to get back to sports. Tomorrow's show, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., wall-to-wall coverage of Pac-12 Media Day. Nobody else is going to have it like we do. Nobody's going to have more fun than we do. Didn't Jim Harbaugh say that? Well, you stole UCLA and USC, so I'm going to steal that from Jim Harbaugh. All right. The, leave it here if you're in Portland. Peter Sampson and the Pulse is coming up. But uh, tomorrow, 3 p.m. to 6 p.m., Pac-12 Media Day. I'll be all over it, and you'll be there with me.